P.O. say I can't get high, hop in the helicopter, Uber that Go all the way up, go all the way up, I'm all the way up, I'm all the way up, nothing can stop me, I'm all the way up. Shorty, what you want, shorty, what you need, what you need? my nicks run the game, we ain't never leave, never leave. counting up this money, we ain't never sleep, never sleep. Got V12, I got 12 V's. Got bottles, got weed, got my, my I'm all the way Show up. what you want, I got what you need. Show it what you want, I got what you need. Show it what you want, I got what you need. I'm all the way up. 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 Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. All the way up. I'm all the way up, I'm all the way up, nothing can stop me, I'm all the way up. All the way up, that's exactly where we should be, all the way up. Now, for the past 72 hours, it's been extremely, uh, it's taken a toll on me as a person. I don't know if I should admit this on air, but you know, the people I was speaking with probably don't even listen. No, they definitely don't because they're on, they're somewhere else. Um, Because they hear me anyway. So I just want to explain to you the situation that I found myself in. So today, obviously no sleep. I've been working around the clock. I actually was on autopilot, believe it or not. Um, I found myself that I had fallen asleep at about, I think maybe like one fifteen. I woke up panicked because I was, literally sitting on the side of my bed, like sitting up and, you know, had an email. Thanks for that. You, for those documents, great call today. And I'm thinking what call, what I like, I was working on autopilot. Now the reason is, is because I have, um, a lot of things that I don't make public, public that I do. And then you also know my campaign, which we're going to talk about today because today, um, you know, it was fantastic for me in a sense of, damn, this is like the cheapest campaign ever. Um, but on the other hand, it made me think of all the people that I see in the chat rooms on Telegram. And so I want to take some time to talk to them today. It's really important that they hear me. It's really, really important that they hear me. And aside from that, obviously, I have my um, federal defamation suit. Um, you know, I wanted to say something on that. So you guys know um, that one of the people that I have on that lawsuit is uh, this guy named Ali Abdul Razak Akbar, a.k.a. Ali Alexander, a.k.a. the guy that considers himself the founder of Stop the Steal, right? Now, as you know, he's being sued by the Capitol Police. Um, but uh, he has this lawyer that set up the stop the steal. Thank you, popcorn time. Uh, he has a lawyer that set up the stop the steal in Alabama. His name is Barry Coleman, George, D. Coleman, whatever. It's just Coleman, some loser. Now, let me explain. Now, this guy has also been enjoined as a defendant in the Capitol Police suit against them. They know what they're doing, the Capitol Police. Now, what's weird is, is that, you know, he presented himself as the attorney for Ali Akbar, um, my legal team uh, said, great, thank you for uh, confirming that you're the attorney. Thank you, Jay Begin. And um, 
Uh, we will now serve you since, you know, apparently mailing it to you, sending it, giving it to your boyfriend, seeing you through the window. And we have evidence of that and pretending that you're not there, uh, you know, <laughs> is not enough. Well, we'll, we'll be nice enough to give you 21 days to respond. Now, this lawyer obviously was enjoined in the Capitol Police suit and a week later does something that I've never seen anyone do. I mean, it's not even going to harm my legal team. But you know what he said that struck me odd? Because apparently these people are stopped the steal. He said that my lawsuit about defamation, about the stolen election, was a conspiracy theory. Like this is documented. I'm not just making shit up. And I won't respond to you with things like you need Jesus and then block you when you bring facts. It is very difficult for people in this day and age to realize who their enemy really is. There's the enemy that tells you they're your enemy. There's the enemy that tells you, uh, you know, by the, by their teeth, you know, they shine their teeth, the one that stabs you in the face, in the back. But this is a big deal. This is a person that builds his brand on Stop This Deal, supposedly founded the company Stop This Deal, which, you know, the only reason he created the company is because I outed him and he was making money for himself and it's against the law to collect money without a specific purpose, especially if you're advertising it's for a specific purpose other than yourself and it's for events that you never booked anyway. So anyway, they actually called his lawyer. I have it in writing because the idiot sent a... A, a judge to the letter saying this is ridiculous and he doesn't want to talk to his client and this is a conspiracy theory election fraud is a conspiracy says the guy that set up the company for stop the steal and the guy was like he was rude and profane and it's like but we filed those emails in the court there was no rude or profanity actually it was you so the guy like lied to the judge. These people are completely unhinged. But I also want you to be careful who you follow in regards to information. Because I hate, I hate the word hate. I loathe people following people. Okay, I loathe it. So um, I wanted to get into a few things. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit exhausted, so bear with me. Feelings, right? Everybody has feelings. Even God, in any denomination of religion that you have, expresses feelings. Feelings of love, uh, feelings of anger, wrath, right? And we all know that faith requires feelings. Love. Love is almost synonymous with faith. Because Without feeling, we can't love, and therefore, without love, we can't have faith. And, and faith and feelings, just so you know, aren't supposed to be opposing forces. They are supposed to be united forces. But feelings aren't always pretty, right? Moms that are fantastic people, amazing people, the minute you do something to their kid, they become more vicious than a blatant, brazen, outspoken serial killer and will rip your throat out. They will give you a Colombian necktie with no weapons, right? And that's because they have immense feelings to protect their kids. And this, this protectiveness also then infers the feelings to the, to the child, right? 
that they're protected and they're loved and they're safe, right? Feelings. It can be so multifaceted. And it's not just in humankind that you see feelings because even God himself, the creator, said he had feelings. Now, feelings can hurt, right? You can feel disappointment. You can feel rejected, embarrassed, sad, frustrated. And you know what the thing about feelings is? Is that you can't see feelings that are wounded, right? You can't see them with your eyes. You can't see wounds and pain that emanate through feelings. So then the question comes to, how do you fix something you can't see? I mean, you break your leg, you could see that. Break your face, you see that. But how do you fix broken feelings? You can't, really. You have to manage them. You need other feelings to fix the broken feelings, right? You need to compartmentalize your feelings, right? To be able to fix them. Thank you very much, girl and and popcorn and Jackie. You need to compartmentalize your feelings. You need to compartmentalize not just the ones that are broken and then address them with other feelings, but the ones that are ugly, the selfish feelings, the feelings of vengeance and anger and wrath. And this is and this is something humankind does, right? This is why do you guys remember that viral TikTok of the the passive aggressive Karen that walked up to a car and she's like and um she was like my kids are watching kids bop and she was like smiling but she was evidently vicious, right? Or the person that smiles at you with the biggest grin and the nicest teeth and inside they're screaming because they caught their wife, you know, having sex with someone or just lost their job, right? So humankind is very good at obfuscating their feelings. There's so many people walking around with feelings that are so wounded that they're dripping like pus and everything, right? It's just, and and it infects them because they can't compartmentalize it enough, but just enough, you know, to come out you know, uh, to, 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 to give them their perspectives. This is, this is why it's important that when you see someone, you know, sometimes the smile can just be a facade and inside they're scathing. You might've just gotten beaten up by their partner or parent, or they're crying inside. See, it works both ways though. As You compartmentalize your feelings in order to function. Thank you, popcorn. In order to function, in order to get things done, right? You also talk yourself out of a lot of things, right? We've said this before. People that have hurt feelings often feel defeated. I want to say it in a sense that... um, Let me tell you a story. Let's put it this way. 
once upon a time, uh, there was uh, a young man who was, uh, you know, angry at work and tired or whatever of the drama at work. And he decided to take a long walk. And he's walking aimlessly, just walking, not even thinking, just I'm going to take a walk. Let's go. And walked and walked and walked. He didn't even know that he ended up into this magical place as he was walking, right? But because he was walking so long, he was actually tired at some point. He thought to himself, damn, I need to rest, right? Little did he know that he was in this magical place, totally different dimension. And he walks, and and as he's there and he's tired, he's like, "I, I, I need to rest, Suddenly he sees this little cabin on the corner. Thank you, Ron. A little cabin on the corner. So he goes there and that cabin has a little bed and and he sleeps. And then he wakes up and he's like, I feel very well rested. You know, repeats it, repeats it. Very well rested. Thank you, Marie. Feels very well rested. Then he thinks to himself, you know, I'm hungry. So as he thinks of hunger, he thinks of like his favorite food, like those fantastic crepes that we saw on Telegram today with President Xi and a Putin making caviar crepes outside with like all this fantastic seafood. Or, and uh, what else? A nice juicy ribeye or a porterhouse, right? A burger, maybe some, my favorite food, tomato, feta cheese, and oil, <laughs> just that. And suddenly all those foods that he thought of just appear. And you know, the thing about hungry people is that they don't ask questions. They just eat. So he ate. And he ate until he was full. He was so full, full. And then because he was so full and satisfied, he thought to himself, damn, I would really like something to drink right now. And as he's sitting there thinking, being so rested and so full with his favorite foods, why, well, what is it that he wants to drink? And he thinks of, you know, nice, crisp water. And you know what? I'd like a Bailey's with a little bit of ice. Or maybe that 2017 Trump Reserve wine, which, by the way, I got, and it's so good. Whoever sent it to me, thank you. Or maybe that quantum wine, that's also good, by the way. Thanks for sending me that too. It was like a year ago, but I still remember the taste of that. So he gets all of these drinks. They manifest. Just because he was thinking about it, they manifest. Thirsty people also don't ask questions. So they just drink. And he drank to the point that, I, I mean, he even got drunk. And as he sat there, he thought, boy, that was weird. I felt hungry. And all my favorite foods appeared. I felt thirsty and and all this water appeared. Holy crap, what could it be? Oh my gosh. It's probably like demons or genies or ghosts or goblins, he thinks. And suddenly, genies, jinns, ghosts, and goblins just appear. And he sees them and he's like, oh no. I can see, oh my gosh, genies, goblins, and ghosts, and zombies, and all these people that manifested all these things, they're going to torture me. And so they tortured him. Oh, they're going to torture me to death. And so they did, and he died. 
See, one doesn't understand the power they have to their destiny in respects to their perspective and how they see things. See, if I was in that house and uh, suddenly all my favorite foods appeared and all my favorite drinks appeared, I would be glorifying God and saying thank you. I wouldn't try to reason. I would know that I manifested that because this is what I wanted. I wouldn't try to self-sabotage myself by, you know, thinking of things that aren't. And, and, you know, it's nice that I'm saying it like this because in reality, when I'm in that position, I might fuck up and say, maybe it was a fairy. And then it's like, I wonder if fairies have like teeth. And then is Tinkerbell really like about pedophilia with Peter Pan? And suddenly all that shit comes up, right? We're all human, right? We all let our minds talk us out of a lot of things. And I've said that before. It's like the devil's advocate when you check your gut rather than just go with it, right? And so uh, what's incredible uh, for me today was, um, and and I'm going to walk you through it. You guys are going to get a crash course in like judicial fuckery. And a lot of people will be like, oh my gosh. And it's like, look. There's two people in life, people that wait for magic and people that make magic, right? And so I want you to know that feelings, everybody has them. Mine were hurt. I think I was more devastated for all of you out there that that believe that there's a magical house and that magic will just happen while you sit idly. Many people won't try something because they fail. And I say, just try it. A lot of people memorize scripture. They memorize them. They can speak it really quickly, but they don't know how to apply it. And then they use Bible verses that don't even apply to them. See, the, um, all scriptures of any religion have a lot of moments and words and predicaments that speak to you. See, there are a few scriptures that don't apply to me, not because they don't work for me. It's because I know them so well, I wear it. And so it's important to understand what scriptures you have. Some some scriptures are for people that don't do what they say. So they will keep coming up and they will be reading all of them until they actually use this. These verses, you need to apply them to be empowered by them. It's the matter of the sum, right? The sum is what matters. In that sense, there's a lot of people that that find it, well, you know, they fly solo. They can fly solo, right? And some actually don't even try right? To fly solo, to be part of a united front, but you have to understand even God covers you. When you decide to make the impossible turn into I am possible, God covers you and he raises the army you need. And suddenly instead of it's just you, It's the sum. See, anything can happen in the world, good and bad. 
but a lot of people don't believe that things can happen to them. I admire and I try and strive to feel claustrophobic. I want to feel like my zip code doesn't fit me. Not because I have a big butt, right? But that I get claustrophobic, like, oh my gosh, this world is way too small for me. My city is way too small for me. This village is way too small for me. Alone, right? It's way too small for me. That's how people should feel. Because once you do that, you feel that claustrophobia. You feel that, and isn't it weird that, you know, people just put their head down and do what everybody else does, you know, one after another. Not a lot of people are different. They don't make change. And that's because change is scary. But at some point, somebody has to have uh, an idea, the belief, and take a stand. So the question is, why can't it be you, me, us? Impossible is possible when I am possible. See, the sense of hopelessness is one that is overbearing for many people. Uh, I can tell you, I, I feel that sometimes all the oh my gosh, today. And when you see it, you'll understand the gravity of it. Because a lot of people, I've said this before, one, don't read. And two, have the attention span of a fish because you have been trained to. But the sense of hopelessness is simply darkness uh, enshrouding you. But what you have to figure out is shine from within so bright that that darkness doesn't even exist. There is more light in every single person than there is darkness. You have to feel that and understand it. All you have to do when you feel hopeless is to actually shine. And you know what happens when you shine? Things get attracted to light. People want to be where there is light. People want to be where there is hope. People want to be doing things. Change. There will always be someone, someone's, whatever, always trying to smother you. They will try to smother you, your voice, the truth, and they will try so hard to blow your light out, but they can't. Because like I said, there's more light in you than there is darkness completely. Anything that is possible is because possible is your reality when you're willing to do what is called the impossible. To do something that someone calls impossible, you have to have to tap into your free will, right? You can't do what everybody else is doing to be amazing. You can't. Oh, look, I'm walking 
in cadence with everyone else. Oh, look, wearing the same khakis as everyone else. Oh, look, went to college, got a job sitting in the cubicle, just like everyone else. Isn't I amazing? No, you're not. You have to do things differently. You have to keep transforming all the time. During the challenges is that time where you do things differently. During the challenges is where you transform. And it's not the time that you're like, yeah, I'm just going to roll over. That's the time where you double the fuck down. And you know that guy has an ace and a king in his hand. And you've got, you know, a, a jack and a nine. You're like, damn, I'm going to go over 21. But I'm going to risk it. Give me a two. Hit me. You double down. If you have no faith, you don't trust the cosmic system. If you don't have faith, then you have no capabilities to push. And you know, a lot of people, when they want to do things, like right now, I had serious conversations with people. And I'm like, I can't believe that I'm telling you this, right? How are you going to do it? This is so daunting. This is an uphill battle. This is a challenge. How are you going to do it? And it's like, why are you focusing on the how? Nobody gives a shit about the how. It's the why. Why are we doing this? Why does it matter to do this? See, if people focus more on the why we're doing something, the how just comes. The how just comes. And I'm not giving you some frou-frou, you know, I don't do that, okay? I don't do pep talks, right? I don't do out-of-boy things, right? It is fact. I mean, what's that old saying? There's a will, there's a way. Damn, that is that has stood the test of time. And you know what? Where there's a will, there's a way means. Who gives a fuck about the how am I going to do it? I just know why I want to do it. And what is that called? Oh, that's right. Intention. See, if you aren't challenged, you can't change. So how do you change your nation? How do you change your environment? Do you change it when it's working fine? Let me guess. Do you change it because, you know, you decide, oh, you know, everything's great. Pay my taxes, kids in school, white picket fence, 2.5 kids and my dog in the yard. Great. Let's change it. No, you don't. When do you change it? It's all about timing. It's when it is the right time to change. When the challenge is at maximum. You know, it's like sitting on the couch. This is how I see it. You're sitting on the couch. Actually, conversation I had with someone went like this. So you couldn't hop over this and now you want to hop over Mount Everest? And it's like, yeah, if you're going to get me out of my fat ass off the couch, it better be for something important. And it better be a challenge because you get refined through fire, through fire, right? Through fire. You don't blame others, right? You don't. You don't. You don't wait for someone else to do something that should have been done. You just get to work because you're challenged. And you know what? People that win, people that have made marks in history, always had extra time. They put in, they did that, they did that extra thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to try it. I'll try it again. Try it again. Try it again. Try it again. It's kind of like, like, like us last night putting together um, arguments for the uh, federal complaint. And you're, you're constantly pounding. And, you know, when do you're like, damn, this is a square peg going into a round hole. And it's like, fuck it, we're going to pound it so hard that at the end, it's going to look round. And it's going to slide right in because I'm persistent.
And this is the way people should be. Everything does not go the way you want to. In order to be I'm possible, you got to make the impossible possible like that. Everything's not just going to happen. Struggle always happens. And weakness, oh man, she comes like a wave. But the weakness that you feel or the failures or the slaps across the face you get aren't meant to knock you down and take you out. I guess unless you're in an MMA fight and you do get knocked out, the whole point of that was to keep you down so the other guy wins. But in life, that's not what applies. You're not supposed to be defeated. You're supposed to feel depleted. And then what do you do? You get on your knees and then you pray to get back up. And then, you know, if you realize that, yeah, I'm not defeated, I'm depleted, I'm just going to recoup, I'm going to go this way now. Oh, that road didn't work. I'm going to do this. Oh, I got to climb a mountain, but I don't have any rope. Fuck it. I'll learn how to fly. You know, you find ways, but then apprehension comes in. Right? And a lot of you feel that, that desperation. Oh, we might lose. I don't even want to try because this is like so hard. And yet the majority of the people that I see in chat rooms all across social media are all about like magic. Like you believe in magic? Like you sit idly and you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to pray for magical intervention right here. It's like praying for a baby and not having sex. Like, stop. It's nuts. It's madness. You know, a lot of people I see talking in groups and, and, and I've read letters, mostly uh, this is coming from people outside our nation. They say, I, I don't think I'm supposed to be insignificant. And, you know, these aren't known people. This is just a mom in a country, right? That, 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 that's, that statement made me so happy. And I sent her a note talking about animals. <laughs> she wrote back and I read it just now. She wrote back timely. I read it. I'm a year and a half behind on letters, but, um, she said, I, now I get it. Um, but do you think you're insignificant and you weren't made to change history? Like, are, are there really people out there that think that? That you were never meant to leave more than a footprint in the sand that can go with the tide, but actually leave a mark in history? That is a sad way to live. Every single one of us are supposed to make history. A lot of you right now listening to me that participated in the writ of mandamuses across the nation left your mark. Your name forever will be on those records. For those of you running for office, forever on those records. Every conversation you have, forever on those records. Every letter you sent, forever on your records. You know, life's not fair. Like your car breaks, not, your, not fair. Get bullied, it's not fair. It's not fair, you know, you don't have nice, luscious hair. <laughs> it's just not fair, right? But once you understand that life isn't supposed to be easy, because you can't be refined if you're just without pressure. Diamonds 
are created from coal under pressure. That's how you get refined. So you know this, you know that life isn't supposed to be fair. You understand because, and I know a lot of people say, well, that's not true. We're told that it's not fair. Therefore it's difficult. No, it's not fair. Because what you are is you're in a room with 10 people that think 10 different ways that have 10 different ambitions and they may offend you. They may do something that will take away from you to benefit them. Maybe for, they think it's good, but it's not. So no, it's not really fair because everyone's learning off each other. So the question is at that point, when you know life is, you know, circumstances that aren't really like always in your favor. Do you whine about it? Do you sit in the corner waiting for like this magic shack to appear after a long walk and then try to focus your thoughts to stay on good stuff? Do you pray to be pregnant without having sex? No, you change the damn circumstances. You know, I get so many uh, DMs from people that are about, ah, oh, you know, we're sovereign citizens. We need to apply this. Uh, the flag's like this. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, look. The Republican Party isn't George Washington's either. It was a Federalist Party. That's when the real flip happened. That's when the masters put the Democrats in their place and said, look, we're working together. We pretend to be for the people and freedom. And you just keep on with the slaves and we'll work together. Pay attention to history. Everything you need to know is there. Now. Now. Circumstances. Let's think of it as a playing field. Playing field that has goalposts, that rules everyone might be, um, you know, changing and redrawing, but they have to stay within those same rules, right? And it's all about perspective too, right? It's like a referee when you're playing soccer. It's like, hey, that was offside. Yeah, I was over here. It didn't look offside to me from this angle. Sorry. But then you're just like, what? That was definitely an offside. Huh? But the perspective, right? Because rules can be applied with perspective. So then the question is circumstances, right? Circumstances. Circumstances of trying to understand how you can create them to be on a factual perspective. Lately, I can tell you, <laughs> obviously, what you get, what you put out, you get, right? I just kind of feel like the I, I've been thrown to the wolves. You know, all these people that call me a nobody have thrown me into the deep end of the cyberspace. Like I shouldn't exist. And it's like, bitch, you throw me to the pack of wolves. I'll come back being the leader of the pack. Have you not learned your lesson yet? This is exactly how every single one of us should be thinking. People have tried to kill me, destroy me. How did that work out? They cornered me into spider, cyber, cyberspace. How did that work out? Oh, she's got followers. I don't have followers. I have leaders, right? Because only losers have followers, right? Because every single follower becomes a leader when they're in the presence of people that understand what leadership means. And you know what happened is that every single follower that became a leader at some point in their life, something happened to them. And the only thing that happened was that they suddenly saw things differently because they started to think differently. 
their attitudes started becoming different. Their thought process and perception of the way they saw things in their environment started to become different. You know, in the Bible, there are two animals. Two. Two. Not one. Two. Two animals that represent the creator. He identifies with two animals. I want to see if anybody knows what these two animals are. What are the two animals that your creator identifies with? Because, see, those two animals represent exactly what the whole undertone of the Bible is. The lion and the eagle. And now, why is it the lion and the eagle? Well, an eagle is all about the attitude. Or shall I say, altitude. You take a 40,000 foot view that gives you the strongest vision of the entire kingdom. Even the eagle eye represents someone with a higher perspective and keen perceptions using some like underlying like woo woo sense. But in fact, it's being able to step back and take a 40,000 view so you can take it all in and say, all right, all right, all right, all right. This is all noise. What do I need to see? What, what pieces on the chessboard do I really need to move? And what is a distraction? So that's the eagle. I see everything and I can step out of it and see it. The next one is the lion. That's also an attitude. That's a spirit of leadership that I see in every single one of my listeners when they're talking, right? When we're in our groups and I see texts, uh, you know, between each other, DMs on the telegram, I'm like, oh my gosh. The attitude is what makes you different. The attitude. The lion protects his back. The eagle sees all and absorbs the bigger picture. And that, both of those together, uh, they symbolize courage. You need to be the person setting up your fishing boat when there's no fish in the lake you're going to. You need to be the person that sees opportunity in adversity. For me, my campaign is my fight. And this is why I will win. My fight is your fight. That is why we will win. And our fight is for the future generations. And that is why we will win. The world, the, the, the word impossible should be your motivation to put that space between I am and possible. And how you get there is by progress. You don't need to fit in. You don't need to take a number, take a seat, and be just like the rest. You don't need to be a, you know, NPC. Humans aren't supposed to fit in. They're supposed to stand out, not just simply to stand out with the blue hair and shit, but to create waves because we think different. 
And once we respect the fact that all of us think different in, as individuals and make waves, then we get united. And this is how it happened. A united America makes it happen. And as you can see, people are joining in slowly. When I told you about the sticker brigade, wait till you see who's going to join in on the party. You were just like, what? Now we got the left sticking that stuff. Motivation is very necessary, but so is discipline. So is discipline. I don't have a lot of that. <laughs> you know, we have to have our thoughts organized so that way we can focus. I don't have a lot of it. But what I can tell you is that you should never take anything and roll over. And the more education you have, the more weapons you have in your cash. And today, you're going to get a crash course on serious fuckery and see what remedies are being applied. And you know what? Remember how I talked about New York and I was like, we got to get A.G. Letitia? Well, here's that time. See, you know, God always does this. Timing, right? So as I pull out my folder with the A.G. Letitia stuff, accidentally, because I was seeking for a specific file, huh? Oh boy, I found the answer to my problem. And I'm like, oh, great. So while I'm doing this, then all of us can be doing that. And we can figure this out. See, the one thing that they consider a bi the biggest threat, and I'm going to show you this, because I got a unanimous fuck you from the Supreme Court in Ohio. And you don't need to be a lawyer. We're going to go through it. And what you are going to see is that five Supreme Court judges used violations of laws to justify further violations of laws to make it okay. Uh, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, I'm not seeing it right. Maybe, maybe, maybe I missed something. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being punked. And here's another thing. For some reason, my lawyer couldn't file the lawsuit, the TRO in federal court, and we didn't understand why. Why? Because they were putting this decision out. We didn't need to file it. I would have lost another, what, $600 on that? Not only that, I had five Supreme Court judges say, version of the facts. You'll see it with your eyes. Version of facts. When has a fact had a version? Now, while many, while many may think, uh, you know, or, or my haters. Oh, good job. Fuck her. What, what are you doing? Do you think that's okay? You think that it won't happen to you if it happened to me? You think feeding that alligator later will save you? No, you're just going to be eating a little bit later. See, that's the problem. Facts have versions in the law. Should terrify everyone. So now let's take a break. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for your stickers or whatever they're called on Rumble. Um, cube balls deep, <laughs> cedar, breaks, gunk monarch, brunt, nilly mama, Dawn, Linda, Lady Sarah, Brian, Brian, thank you. God bless you. Um, <clears throat> let's take a quick break before we get into the legal stuff. Because I'm going to give you a crash course on understanding this because now all of us are going to do something amazing. Not, not for me, something amazing for you. 
and something amazing for New York. New York doesn't have to just do it. We can. I found the way to do it. So you'll be speaking with your people, whoever wants to be involved. You don't have to. Uh, you can make your mark in history. And um, uh, I'll walk you through that. But you have to understand it before I, you know, I even say anything like that. So let's take a little... Um, song intermission and blast back to the 80s. I'm pretty sure whoever's on Facebook, they're probably going to turn it down for like DCMA or something. So um, make sure you make yourself your way to rumble. Here we go. Look into your eyes and see a paradise This world that I'm found is too good to be true Standing here beside you, want so much to give you This love in my heart that I'm feeling for you Let them see you went crazy, I don't care about that Put your hands in my hand, baby, don't ever look That's where we're at. It is a full-on blown war. Now, uh, you know, many many have said in uh, close confidants, you know, uh, if it would have happened to someone else, they just give up. You know, the highest court uh, in your land is the Supreme Court. It is literally the Supreme Court of your state. And we're going to talk about that a little bit because there's a lot of talk about the Ohio Supreme Court, among others. But I'm going to take you down to trip down memory lane to, to, to 10 years ago. So everyone's talking about this redistricting like it's something new. Now, what happened 10 years ago? We were having the uh, 2012 elections come up. And during those elections, new uh, stealing software, election software, right? was coming up. So you think this is something new? Huh? You are highly mistaken. I want you guys to listen to this segment. elections, the Ohio Supreme Court issues a ruling that will allow Democrats to challenge Ohio's redistricting that some political experts say will favor Republicans. Now, that could create a big mess for next year's election. News 5's Laura Borchers breaks it all down for us. This redistricting battle is boiling over and it will impact who's on your ballot when you head to the polls. It's very simply not fair. The bottom line is the Democrats have thrown this election of 2012 into chaos. And by doing it, uh, 
they're using politics and the courts to change the result at the ballot box. Ohio Republicans and Democrats feud. In a new ruling, the Ohio Supreme Court gives Democrats the green light. They can collect petitions to put a halt to the Republican congressional redistricting plan. Ohio is a 50-50 state, evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans. The districts, however, are 75-25. After the 2010 census, Ohio's 18 congressional districts dropped to just 16. Districts needed to be redivided. Republicans drew up a new map that they call fair and legal. Democrats cry foul, saying the new lines give Republican candidates a 12 to 4 advantage for congressional seating. Now, even the Ohio Supreme Court is calling for a second look. That may have a big ripple effect. The Democrats uh, want to challenge the election results in court. And that's creating chaos in our elections process. Leaders you may have been planning to vote into office now won't know what district to file for in December or even if that district will exist. Thanks to this murky water, elections may ask you to vote on candidates statewide. In other words, someone from across the state could be voting for your district's representative. Some wonder if both parties will compromise in finding new district lines instead of fighting it out in court. I think right now the Democrats don't know what they want. Um, they have not really let the Republicans know. Well, the Republicans have an opportunity to fix this. They can come back with a new set of congressional districts that are fair. It's their choice. Right now, attorneys from both parties are digging up ways to deal with this unchartered territory. We're going to continue following this, bringing you developments as they happen. I'm Laura Borchers, News 5. All right. So that was, uh, you know, in 2011. And now it's 2022 elections, right? That's for the 2012 election, sorry. Now we're at the 2022 elections uh, coming up for the 2024. And you're seeing the Republicans do the same thing. You're just like, what? Yeah. And let me ask you a question. How did it work out for the Republicans in 2012? Why don't you think about that? Who's, who is it really benefiting, right? Those that scream the loudest are the ones that have more to hide. So now let's take a look at what's going on in the same place 10 years later, 11, whatever. John, Johnny, right? Same shit. system of redistricting is the single biggest structural driver of polarization in our politics. And the great state of Ohio just showed us how professional partisan cynical disregard for the will of the people undermines representative democracy. You see, the Republican-controlled legislature just passed an absurd partisan gerrymander designed to give them control of as many as 13 congressional seats, giving Democrats just two. That's an 87% of the congressional delegation in a state where Trump won just 53% of the vote. Not only that, it's a state where Republican registration fell by more than 120,000 over the last four years, giving them 1.9 million party members compared to the Democrats' 1.6 million and 4.6 million registered independents. So these maps are an insult to democracy. They are designed to disenfranchise voters. But believe it or not, that's not the worst of it. Because in 2018, just three years ago, a stunning 75% of Ohio voters backed an amendment to their state constitution, ensuring that redistricting would be bipartisan and not favor any one political party. It also promised that congressional maps would be drawn in such a way as to keep counties and towns whole, imposing geographic common sense on the absurd gerrymanders that demide communities to maximize partisan power. And this was big news 
hailed by Democrats and Republicans as a model for how states could pursue election reform. Should be a ray of hope for people in Ohio, said Republican State Rep. Kurt Schoen. I think we will have fair districts. I think we will have more competitive districts. That representative was the same one that was saying, well, we need to have like an out for people that don't get the COVID vaccine so they don't have to travel 100 miles to go to the supermarket because he already knows what's up. See, they tell you everything they're doing. They're showing you everything they're doing. How did it work out in 2012? Who had the dominance in 2012? How much were you heard in 2012? So who is really running the show? The Republicans, all right? <laughs> or the Democrats, uh, uh, or you mean both? Because every single state across the nation now is redistricting. And how do they know what's in the benefit of the Democrats and what's in the Republican? They don't. Because right now, no one has loyalty to any of the parties. There are Democrats that have approached me. You know what? I actually had a Democrat approach me someone that's registered as a Democrat that says, I really don't understand what happened with the Supreme court. And I was like, who are you? I don't have you. Who this sliding into my DMS. And I'm not going to mention the name of the person. And I was like, Oh, that's a big deal. That person says it. Yeah. I see what you're talking about now. I actually listened to your show. I'm like, Whoa. There's a lot of us out here that don't understand how this is happening. From the redistricting to, I mean, the judgment itself, I'm going to show it to you guys. We're going to go through it. It's just a few paragraphs. It's going to blow your mind. So this shouldn't be any surprise to you. Listen to what they tell you. If they're they're more competitive, competitive, people in Washington will have to be more conciliatory, he said. Not so partisan. That's exactly right. So what the hell happened here? Well, Ohio Republicans just decided to disregard the state constitution and the will of the voters. See, a seven-member redistricting commission had a month to work on a fair map. But Republican members refused to participate, and so the commission couldn't convene. The power to draw the lines fell back to the Republican-controlled state assembly, who proceeded to do exactly what the constitutional amendment forbid. They cracked and packed minority communities, dividing counties and cities for their own partisan advantage. For example, Hamilton County, home to Cincinnati, which voted for Biden by a 16-point margin, will be divided into three congressional districts with black voters offset by white Republicans. That's why many are saying this map might not only violate the Ohio Constitution, but the U.S. Voting Rights Act. So what's next? Well, it'll go to Ohio's Republican Governor Mike DeWine for his signature. Back in 2018, he told the Cincinnati Enquirer, quote, voters said that redistricting process should be done in a bipartisan way. And when I'm governor, there will be an expectation that the new district maps honor the voters' wishes. That was then, but this is now. Now, DeWine's already admitted that the result was not where we needed it to be. But in the unlikely event that he actually follows through and vetoes, he'd probably be overridden by statehouse Republicans who just passed an anti-vax law over his objections. Lawsuits will be filed. Then the maps will go to the Ohio Supreme Court for judgment, where DeWine's son is a justice who's already announced that he would not recuse himself from this case. That's what's up. This partisan map is clearly in violation of the state constitution. What it really does, 
show that Republicans only care about controlling Congress in the upcoming midterms. And they won't be constrained by pesky things like laws or state constitutions in their pursuit of power. And what happens in Ohio doesn't, doesn't stay in Ohio. Ohio. There you go. This is just one example of the rigged redistricting that's happening in state houses across the country right now, trying to predetermine the midterm elections before a single vote is cast. That's what's also up. an example of why federal election reform is so needed, because even statewide reforms, back by the majority of voters, can be discarded by the party in power. As David Pepper, former chair of the Ohio State Democratic Party, writes in his new book, Laboratories of Autocracy, we are witnessing a coordinated nationwide weaponization of state houses to undermine American democracy itself. Make no mistake, this is happening right now. They're just hoping. You won't notice until it's too late. And that's your reality check. And so now we have the uh, globalists, the elites that control us. Thank you so much, uh, Horseman. Thank you so much, Unapologetic Christian. And Lori, thank you, thank you, thank you, Brian. And if anyone sees my... um, Billboard, if you guys can videotape it in Ohio for Brian, that would be fantastic. Now, what he said was truth and not truth. But I want you to see the weaponization of arguments. And I want you to see how your Republicans are not Republicans and how your leadership is giving away your rights with their actions. Now, you know, it's funny that they would say, oh, you know, Pat DeWine's on the Supreme Court. Remember, when I went and I filed a mandamus against the governor, his son voted against me. And again, now, but that's okay, because I'm going to fix that. Now, in order for us to understand, um, you know, how things work, I guess it's important to understand um, how the Supreme Court in itself sometimes uh, violates uh, their own laws. And um, how you can actually remedy that. So there's this, um, the Supreme Court actually dealt a huge bull, blow to Voting Rights Acts um, back in 2013. So weird. But everything you hear in this clip isn't 100% correct, but it reinforces as to how they are not separated and they are one. The Supreme Court this morning issued a ruling on one of the two big cases that it's been holding on to, voted on the uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, ruled that parts of it are unconstitutional, big blow, a, a landmark of the civil rights era legislation. And talk about that run right now. I'm joined by Ashby Jones on set, and we also have Jess Braven down at the Supreme Court. Uh, Jess, tell us exactly what the court said this morning. Under the Voting Rights Act of 1965, areas that have historically discriminated against minority voters are subject to special uh, uh, oversight by the federal government. They have to get approval in advance before changing their voting rules. Today, the Supreme Court struck down the formula the government uses for determining which areas are subject to this special oversight. And that has the effect of basically ending that special oversight because Congress will have to reenact a new formula, something that seems very unlikely uh, given the way the Congress is currently divided. And Ashby, I want to bring in immediately on this. I mean, you're a lawyer, you have a background on all this. 
how, how significant is this? How much of this is now washed away? Well, I think it's, it's very significant. I mean, as just as just indicated, I mean, they only struck down uh, Section 4, one section in the Voting Rights Act, but it effectively uh, neuters the entire Voting Rights Act, which mm -hmm. was, as you mentioned in your opening, a linchpin, really a key to of, of civil rights legislation back in the 1960s, um, giving a lot of uh, disenfranchised uh, black voters, minority voters, um, uh, the better, better chance to vote. Um, right now, what will have to happen is Congress will have to go back and fix Section 4, this formula mm -hmm. for deciding which states should be covered by the Voting Rights Act. Um, they've been Congress has been very reluctant to fix the Voting Rights Act in the past. Um, the Supreme Court has sort of hinted that it should in, in, in previous decisions, and it hasn't. So uh, as just indicated, I think it'll be a, it, it probably means the end of the, the, the Voting Rights Act as we know it for now. Wow. Hey, Jess, uh, the, the ruling was a five, five to four verdict. That wasn't a surprise, was it? I mean, that was pretty much as expected. Well, yes. I mean, this was one of the one of the, the flashpoints that really divides this court along its uh, ideological axis. Uh, you had Chief Justice Roberts and the uh, and four fellow conservatives, uh, including some veterans of the Reagan administration who had uh, fought to, to to minimize the Voting Rights Act when they were in the executive branch, uh, them striking down this coverage formula, and the four more liberal members of the court uh, uh, vigorously disputing it with a, uh, a dissent writ by the, the senior uh, justice in dissent, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, and really focusing on the origin of, uh, as she said, the question here is who should decide? Should it be the court or should it be Congress, which decides how to implement uh, the, the powers of the 14th and 15th Amendments, which deal with voting rights and, and minority rights? Uh, I think we should say that the Voting Rights Act, the substantive provisions, in other words, it still remains a violation of federal law to uh, impose discriminatory methods to disenfranchise voters and, and so forth. What, what, what has changed today is that the the police power the federal government has had to prevent those kinds of changes before they happen has been eliminated. Uh, the reason that Congress in 1965 uh, and then uh, uh, implemented this formula and then renewed it <coughs> periodically, most recently in 2006, was because many of these jurisdictions, uh, as soon as they would have a voting procedure that was thrown out for suppressing minority votes, they would cook up another one. If they did, if a voting test was uh, thrown out, they'd come up with, uh, they'd move the polling sites, or they would do all kinds of things to suppress minority votes. Uh, having found that repeatedly was the practice, primarily in the South in those days, the Congress said, well, that's enough. From now on, if you are a jurisdiction that previously did these things, uh, you need to get approval before you make changes. The Supreme Court said today that times have changed that there is no longer evidence justifying that formula that places that once were notorious for their racially discriminatory practices no longer are. Maybe some other parts of the country are actually more suppressive of minority votes, and therefore this coverage formula is no longer relevant. That was the, uh, the view of the majority. Hey, Jess, Jess this is Ashby. So do you, do you think that this, uh, thanks for the clarification on which parts of the act um, are actually likely to go away. Do, do, you, do, you, do you think that there's a chance that Congress could, could wade back into this and sort of uh, resuscitate uh, Section 4 and Section 5, this part of the Voting Rights Act uh, that provides federal oversight over certain jurisdictions, or, or is that unlikely to happen? I think it's very unlikely given the current composition of Congress because, uh, you know, this is really a question as framed by the majority and by the minority uh, on the court of federal versus state power. 
the Fed, the majority on the court views this this pre-clearance provision, this states and, and localities having to get permission from Washington before they change their voting procedures as a great imposition on state autonomy and state sovereignty and can only be justified by the most extraordinary misconduct by the state. The minority in the court says, no, we disagree. The uh, the, the Civil War amendments, the, 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 the particularly the 14th and 15th amendments, which give Congress power to prevent racial discrimination, and specifically in voting under the 15th Amendment, those make it uh, up to Congress. But we, I don't think that, that uh, particularly the House of Representatives, where Republicans, uh, the Republican majority is very suspicious of federal power, uh, would be inclined to give the uh, Obama administration, the current administration that's in power, or allow them to continue to have oversight of voting procedures in what primarily are Republican-leaning states. All right, Jess Braven, Ashby Jones, thank you very much, both of you. How interesting, right? That was very interesting to see that conversation from years ago, uh, talking about how they gutted the Voting Rights Act. And this is all, you know, preemptive. They put this together to set the playing field. It's, it's quite simple. Now let's listen to what the Voting Act really is and why it was created. Because there's a lot of things that should have been removed because then you use the, the color card, right? Like you get free education just because you're a different color. That's not fair. So it shouldn't apply in voting either. Take a listen. Despite the ratification of the 15th Amendment in 1870 that protected citizens' right to vote based on race and previous condition of servitude, things like poll taxes, literacy tests, and the grandfather clause were still allowed due to the Supreme Court's poor interpretation of the amendment. In United States v. Reese, William Garner, an African American, was denied the right to vote by two election inspectors by the name of Hiram Reese and Matthew Fauci. Reese and Fauci said that Garner refused to pay the poll tax, but in reality, Garner tried to pay the tax but was refused by the tax collector. When this case eventually went to the Supreme Court, they determined that the language of the Enforcement Act of 1870 was too broad and that the 15th Amendment did not ban things like poll taxes and literacy tests. Over the decades, civil rights activists advocated against racial discrimination such as segregation, voter suppression laws, etc. The civil rights movement started to see major victories starting in the 1950s when the Supreme Court ruled in favor for civil rights with cases like Brown v. Board of Education. In short, after several nonviolent protests and sit-ins, the movement continued to gain national attention. On June 11, 1963, Kennedy proposed the Civil Rights Act of 1963, with no luck of it getting passed in the Rules Committee. In the same year, over 100,000 people marched on Washington to advocate for both civil and economic rights of African Americans. There, Martin Luther King gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. Unfortunately, in November of the same year, JFK was assassinated. With LBJ now being president and being the former Senate Majority Leader, he was able to get the bill passed in the House and passed in the Senate after a 54-day-long filibuster. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 banned discrimination based on sex and race and helped in the effort of desegregating schools. However, despite the amount of good the Civil Rights Act of 1964 did, it did not stop literacy tests and other means of voter suppression. With voter suppression in the South still alive, the civil rights protests continued. 
After the 1964 elections, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference led by Martin Luther King Jr. and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee pushed for action from the federal government to protect racial minorities' voting rights. Starting in January 1965, civil rights leaders held demonstrations in Selma, Alabama. Unfortunately, on March 7, 1965, one of the marches were violently interrupted by police. Anywhere between 525 to 600 civil rights marchers walked out of Selma from the southeast on U.S. Highway 80. After the protesters crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they met a wall of state troopers and county posse. John Cloud, the commanding officer, ordered the marchers to return home. Reverend Hosea Williams attempted to talk to the officer, but he made it very clear that there was nothing to discuss. Law enforcement then proceeded to knock many of the demonstrators down and beating them with nightsticks. Tear gas was fired and troopers charged on horseback into the crowd. Americans looked at the event in shock and horror once images of the event got out to the media. 17 of the demonstrators were hospitalized while 50 others were treated for less serious injuries. This horrible event became known as Bloody Sunday. Eight days after the event, President Lyndon Johnson sent a voting rights bill to Congress. Despite some hurdles, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 passed the Senate on May 26th in the House of Representatives on July 9th. Thanks to the Voting Rights Act of 1965, literacy tests are now banned, and now there can be federal oversight of voter registration in places that have less than 50% of a non-white unregistered voter population. Another part of the bill did allow the U.S. Attorney General to investigate how poll taxes are used in state and local elections. However, poll taxes were banned on the state and local level in 1966. Election Minute out. Something that um, a few people don't know is that uh, the uh, Voting Rights Act is actually called also the 15th Amendment. So let's take a look at what that is. And we're going to our my one of my favorite liberal high school teachers that talks about this stuff. So he's going to kind of give us a refresher of the 15th and 14th Amendment before we get into the to the nitty gritty. I mean, we've got to get a refresher course, right? Hey guys, welcome to Hip Hughes History. We're hitting you up with the last of the Reconstruction Amendment, and that would be the 13th, 14th, the 15th Amendment, giving African-American males the right to vote. Let's look at the words of the amendment, the lead-up to the amendment, but more importantly, the kind of failure of the amendment, the effect of the amendment, and uh, we're about to grow your brain, so get up to lunch. <laughs> and first, there were the words. Section 1. The right of the citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on the account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Section 2. The Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Before we talk about the 15th Amendment, we want to put it into context, and I think years are important. This will help you a little bit. Of course, we know that the Civil War ended in 1865, and uh, we also get the 13th Amendment in 1865. This is like Lincoln's last hurrah before he's assassinated, and that amendment gets ratified. But by abolishing slavery, and this is really due to really the failure of the Emancipation Proclamation really to live after the Civil War, Northern Republicans are especially worried about representation in Congress. You have to go to the House. Go to the House. And the House is based on population. You have to remember that these Southern states were represented in those congressional districts before the Civil War. 
with a three-fifths slave population. Now that three-fifths is going to be full representation, which means they're going to get more House seats. And that means that if they can control kind of how you know people vote and who votes and all that stuff, they're really going to uh, expound their numbers. They're going to grow as a force. The Democrats are going to take over. Um, in 1866, we get the Civil Rights Act of 1866. And this is an attempt by the radical Republicans really to start to enfranchise African-Americans who are facing automatically black codes, which are stripping them of, of any rights, which are denying them um, equal access, which are really uh, doing kind of a neo-slavery job of them. So in 1866, they passed the Civil Rights Act, which is very flowery in its language about the federal government is going to protect the rights of these new African-American free you know, peoples. And uh, what do we get? We get an Andrew Johnson veto. So learning alert. The first override of a veto in American history comes when those radical Republicans in Congress were like, hey, hey, Johnson, <laughs> we call you and we override your veto. And it became law. But it's still going to be a problem because the courts are going to interpret it in a way where it's really not enforceable. And really, Congress isn't going to have the teeth to uh, really, you know, do what they need to do. And uh, there's also this problem of Republicans also having some discrimination in their minds. I mean, we have nativism on the East Coast. We have nativism with the Chinese, you know, stuff going on in the railroad out West. So really, there's no really rush to enforce spirit of the Civil Rights Acts of 1866. So what do we get? We get the radical Republicans saying that we have to get this into the Constitution. And this is a really quick history. I'm probably talking too much about it. But that results in the 14th Amendment, which becomes a precondition for those southern states coming back into the Union. We're going to make these African-Americans citizens. So now that they're citizens, there's this real rush that we need to allow them to vote because the representation is changing. So that's where we are. Uh, we're in 1868, right around there. And radical Republicans are seeing these new southern states coming back into the union. And they're thinking um, our days are numbered. So the amendment, the 15th Amendment, is really born in the beginning of 1869 by a very nervous Nellie Republican controlled um, house. They're worried that you know, they're lame ducks. They have no power and the Democrats are coming. So before the Democrats can get there, let's give African-Americans the right to vote. So those African-Americans in the South are going to be Republican voters and maybe we can hold on to our majority. I think really that's the spirit rather than this kind of, you know, flower equality language. It's really pragmatically a way to keep themselves in power. But of course, it's still the right thing to do. So we get that proposal in 1869, and it's very controversial. It's controversial not only in the South, but in the North. There's only eight Northern states that allowed African-Americans to vote in their state. So we're asking the North to change along with the South. And uh, we already talked about nativism that's rampant on the East Coast and the West Coast. And another source of contention is with women's groups. You have really a split in the suffrage movement. Um, the National Women's Suffrage Association. This is with uh, Susan B. Anthony, who's you know opposed to the amendment because they want in. And then you have the American Women's Suffrage Association. This is Lucy Stone. And these are the people that are supporting the amendment. So it's really splitting other groups. But at the end of the day, they're going to squeak this thing through. It was really a close call. 
both in the House and in the Senate. It's a party vote. It's Republicans favoring it because it's expanding their base and it's Democrats that are opposing it for a variety of reasons. So there we go. We get that in 1870, right before the Democrats are going to be coming back and controlling soon the House. We get this amendment thrown into the ratification process. And we all know that you need three fourths of the states. And one of the issues is going to be, at least from a Southern perspective, that these are legislatures that are being controlled by radical Republicans and by, you know, a union uh, dominated South. These really aren't representations of Southern viewpoints that in a sense, they're being strong armed into um, accepting this amendment, but yada, 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 bada, bada, boom. We get the 15th amendment right around June. Now, I don't know about the month. It just rhymed, but in 1870, we definitely get the 15th amendment. And now we're definitely going to take a minute to look at the effects of the 15th amendment, or maybe the failure of the 15th you amendment. All that. So here's a little bit of irony for you folks out there. In 1876, we have African-Americans that are voting in the South. They're voting mainly because they're union occupied. And now we have the 15th Amendment and they're voting for a guy by the name of Rutherford B. Hayes, who's a Republican. And of course, he's running against the Democrat Samuel Tilden, who was from New York, yeah, whatever. But at the end of that you know, scenario, what occurs is that um, Tilden probably wins. He wins the popular vote. He probably wins the electoral vote. But through this kind of backdoor dealing, this compromise occurs where the Rutherford B. Hayes takes the presidency and removes those union troops. And now the irony is that it's those African-Americans that got him elected. And now he's turning his back on those African-Americans who are going to be stripped of those rights to vote uh, by state enacted laws. Uh, these are now Jim Crow laws. So we have literacy tests. We have uh, poll taxes. You have to pay. You have to read under the literacy test. And you have grandfather clauses, which say to white voters that if your grandfather voted, you don't have to read or you don't have to pay. Huh? What up with that? And what up with that is that the Supreme Court, which is the final arbitrator in what this 15th Amendment means, is basically going to say this doesn't so much give African Americans the right to vote. It just really restricts the southern states from denying them the right to vote. So if you have race neutral laws like poll taxes, asking people to pay five bucks for bureaucratic paperwork or that you need to read because we think that you have to have a certain level of IQ or something like that in order to vote. That's up to the southern states. That doesn't mean they're doing it because they're black. Yeah. So that's really going to be the rule. And through intimidation, of course, the Ku Klux Klan democratic you know, power in the South, you know, racist power, blacks aren't going to be able to exercise that right to vote. Yet those Southern states are going to get more representation because they have these African-American citizens in the state. So that's hashtag irony. So fast forward to what, 1965, where we get the Voting Rights Act and now the federal government's finally going to get some teeth to really supervise these elections in these racist uh, areas of the country. And uh, everybody lived happily ever after. Maybe, maybe not. So that's the 15th Amendment, guys. We hope that you learned it. Remember, it's 315. To remember those three amendments, you can watch the other amendment videos. I think that's really... Hey guys, Ding Dong Learning is here. I'm Mr. Hughes and this is Noam Chomsky. In the next few minutes, we're going to take you on the ride of your learning life. 
Not necessarily. But we are going to try to cover the 14th Amendment. So if you're a United States history student um, in an American government course, middle school, high school, even maybe a college intro course, uh, this lecture is for you. Or if you're just kind of crazy on the Internet, we accept those types of peoples, too. Um, but either way, we're going to chop it up nice and easy and serve it on a bed of learning. So here we go. Get ready for the 14th Amendment. Context. Context is everything. So first you want to group the 14th Amendment with the Reconstruction Amendments. That means it was passed following the Civil War. Um, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. That was passed uh, when Abraham Lincoln was still alive. And then when the Radical Republicans took over the next Congress um, by 1868, they were ready for using the 14th Amendment as a way for the Southern states to re-enter the Union. So therefore, it's kind of a coerced amendment. It's not a naturally flowing amendment. Uh, but nevertheless, it's written into the Constitution. Um, and Anybody who wants to complain about that um, should probably be ready to give Manhattan back to the Native Americans. Um, but nevertheless, it is in the Constitution. So um, what does it really say? It really deals with the problem that the Supreme Court dredged up under Dred Scott. Um, in 1857, right before the outbreak of the Civil War, um, the Supreme Court kind of solved once and for all the issue of slavery by determining that all African-Americans or Africans that were brought to America are not citizens of the United States. So, you know, years before that, Congress, during sectionalism, had kind of tried to put Band-Aids on the problem and tried to solve it with uh, popular sovereignty and with Missouri Compromise lines. But nevertheless, the Supreme Court, by deciding African-Americans were not citizens, that kind of probably sped up the reasons for the Civil War. But nevertheless, the 14th Amendment is designed to correct that Supreme Court decision. All right, so let's look at the five sections. We're going to come back to Section 1, which is really kind of the... Uh, kind of the entree of uh, the 14th Amendment. The second um, part of the second section of the 14th Amendment is meant to kind of correct the three-fifths compromise to make sure that we kind of rephrase that now all citizens, except for Native Americans, are going to be counted towards, you know, full representation. Um, the third section goes to kind of a punitive measure against the former leaders of the Confederate um, America, which is going to prohibit them from serving as kind of leaders in Congress or in, you know, representation in Washington. Um, so they're not going to be allowed to do that unless they get like, two thirds of Congress's uh, vote. The fifth section basically says that Congress has the ability to enforce these previous four sections, but it's section one that's the important one. So we're going to read it out loud. Um, we might break it up a little bit, but we're definitely going to put it up on the screen for you. So here we go. 14th Amendment, section one. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state where they reside. Okay, so there you go. Dred Scott is dead, right? So therefore, everybody that was born in the United States, which means all slaves who were born here, um, are automatic citizens. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdictions the equal protection of the laws. So therefore you have kind of two sections, you know, saying everybody gets equal protection, states give your citizens equal protection, and don't mess with due process. All right, Plessy versus Ferguson. This is the big one, right? Plessy versus Ferguson is 1896, and it's the first chance that the Supreme Court has to basically use the 14th Amendment to protect a black person from their state government. This is, you know, the test case in federalism and civil rights. And the Supreme Court drops the ball. The Supreme Court states that separate 
could be equal, that separate but equal in a sense, that if the separate car act is saying, you know, blacks on this train and whites on this train, that doesn't mean that they're not equal separate halves. Now, of course, that's just laughable looking at the surface and the reality of the situation in the South. But nevertheless, the Supreme Court, by doing that, is basically saying that Jim Crow is constitutional. So, therefore, we're going to have you know, decades and decades of Southern legal segregation discrimination. Um, Now, we fast forward to 1954, and this is the other court case you need to know. If you're writing an essay, you start with Plessy and you end with Brown versus Board of Ed. And this, of course, is where the Supreme Court looks at a Kansas law that segregates children by race in schools and says, no, I don't think so. All right, we're going to grow up here, and separate is not equal. That separate is inherently unequal. And if you ever research that court case, it's really interesting because they talk about the psychology of race segregation back then and how the children that were being segregated had self-esteem issues, and so did the racist children, too. So it's not good for anybody. But nevertheless, the 14th Amendment, therefore, has now kind of come, you know, full roundhouse kick. And now it's going to be enforced, first by Dwight Eisenhower um, in the Little Rock Nine, sending troops down there. And now we've seen basically the 14th Amendment kind of grow. In the 1960s, you have a series of court cases called the Warren Court Cases, where the Supreme Court is going to selectively incorporate some of those other amendments using the 14th Amendment. So, for instance, in Ohio, um, a court case called Mapp versus Ohio, when the police barge in on Miss Mapp without a warrant looking for a suspect, and uh, Miss Mapp was a, an older lady, and uh, she stuck the fake warrant down her bosom, and the police probably didn't like that you know, too much, so they started digging through her house, and they found pornography. Yes, I said old lady and I said pornography. Um, ew. But nevertheless, that was uh, evidence that was used against her in a trial. So when she goes to the Supreme Court and states, hey, they didn't have a warrant. Basically, she's saying the Fourth Amendment has been broken, but so is the 14th because my state is denying me due process. That's called selective incorporation of the Fourth Amendment. And you have other court cases like Miranda where they read suspect their rights and where everybody gets a lawyer, Gideon versus Wainwright. And uh, happy day, the 14th Amendment. And of course, the 14th Amendment hasn't stopped been kind of trying to be expanded. And now there's uh, court cases that are going to the Supreme Court dealing with gay marriage and um, gay Americans who are saying that if you have a different set of laws for my people, then you're violating the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. I actually simply adore the way he puts things together. Now, now that we understand what the 14th and the 15th Amendment are, I think it's important that we listen to what Justice Scalia said. The role of Supreme Court justices under the Constitution is before we roll into some facts. Because what you're about to see is in plain English. This isn't an interpretation. This is actually fact. And a lot of you will be disheartened, but, you know, kind of thought, could you imagine? I'm filing to stop all election proceedings in the state of Ohio, which may be declined, which is fine. I'm filing a writ cert at the Supreme Court against the Supreme Court of Ohio. And then I'm filing all these judiciary complaints along with friends against each and every one of these judges. And you're going to see why. Feel free to join in if you'd like to. And then I'm also going to federal court to get damages and disqualify and remove every single person that partook in the violations of law that happened in my case. Big fight. Uh, But I'm ready. 
And this is kind of inspiration for it. Thank you, uh, Justice Scalia and Justice Breyer, for joining us. It's an honor to have you here today. Um, Justice Scalia, I, w- I wanted to follow up on some things you had said in your opening statement. Uh, along the lines that it is and properly should be a difficult, cumbersome, time-consuming process in our constitutional republic to enact legislation. I think the courts can and should um, uh, play a a significant role in ensuring that that's always the case. The the court certainly has played a role in the past uh, in cases like INS v. Chatham, in which the court has stepped in and said, you know, notwithstanding the fact that you, Congress, may have found something that makes the process of legislating easier or perhaps even more efficient or collegial, uh, you haven't dotted your I's and crossed your T's in the same way that we contemplated under Article 1, Section 7, Clause 2, requiring bicameral passage and then presentment. Uh, And and so this provision is invalid. Um, So uh, let me ask you the the question, is there also a role for the courts? Can you foresee a role uh, for the courts in other situations in which Congress, some future hypothetical Congress, might do something different that would prove easier and more efficient and more collegial, but perhaps uh, in a way that's, that's antithetical to the Constitution. For instance, let's suppose that Congress, when legislating on the delicate uh, and pressing issue of uh, maintaining the um, proper records in uh, the dog breeding industry, uh, since we're talking about federal legislation, these would, of course, be dogs either moving in commerce or taking advantage of some channel or instrumentality of interstate commerce, but uh, a, a law in which Congress just passes a law saying we're outsourcing, we're delegating the authority to regulate dog breeding and record keeping for purebred dogs to the board of directors of the American Kennel Club. That passes both houses of Congress. It goes to the president. It's signed into law. And we then have outsourced the regulation of this practice to the American Kennel Club. Is that a situation in which you can anticipate the court might step in? Well, I would step in. I don't know if the court would. I, I, I was, I was the dis, uh, the dissenting vote in in the uh, first case involving. Uh, oh, I, I hate to mention this with my friend Stephen here, since he was on the right. sentencing commission. I thought when 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 Congress created a sentencing commission to decide how many years everybody should spend in jail because presumably Congress didn't have the time to figure it out for themselves and just left it to this commission to do it. I didn't think that that was constitutional. So I, I, I am sure I wouldn't like your, your, your dog breeding body either. But I, 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 can't, I can't speak for the court. I don't know what the court would allow. But for you personally, uh, uh, looking at it, notwithstanding the fact that it's more efficient, notwithstanding the fact that you do have bicameral passage and you have presentment of this hypothetical law. The problem is that you have delegated the lawmaking power. Exactly. And, and uh, exactly. You have to be careful because John Jay, I just read this in John Stevens' book. It's pretty good. Uh, the first chapter, he says, John Jay, you know, first chief justice. And George Washington went to him and said, you know, I have a lot of questions here. I'd like to, I don't want to do anything unconstitutional. Here are a bunch of them. Will you answer them? And John Jay said, no, no, no advisory opinions. He said, we're not giving any advice. The real reason, of course, is he didn't know the answer. (laughs) And he was right. And he was right. right. And his tenure on the court proved to be short-lived in any event. Now, the the situation you pose is quite different, of course, from your your leaving it to an agency. So how is it different then? How how do those differ? Well, because when you leave it to an agency, you are... 
you you are giving it to the executive. The executive can make rules. You you can't run a, an executive operation without without making rules. The doors open at eight o'clock. If you're the Interior Department, you can't have fires on public land. You can graze private cattle on. It's it's up to the agency to make rules. But there 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 is an obstacle that discourages you from giving too much power to the executive agency because you are increasing the power of the president. You're a competitor to the president. You know, the separation of powers with different branches uh, competing. And uh, there is no such disincentive when you leave it to this private group that you're talking about. That is just a pure delegation of legislative power. You are not authorizing an executive to act like an executive, but you are delegating legislative power to a, a group that has no executive responsibilities. So the difference you would insist is based on the fact that this is an executive branch agency, which at least in theory is subject to the disposition, subject to the control, to the direction of the chief, chief executive. I think that's right. And I, I am, I am, <laughs> what can I, uh, you're talking about the doctrine of, of unconstitutional delegation of legislative authority, which, which is a, a bad name for it because there is no such thing as a constitutional delegation of legislative authority. You cannot delegate legislative authority. Uh, now, when you give rulemaking to an agency, how far can you go? Can Congress just get together and say, uh, the president can do anything he wants and adjourn? Of course not. That has to be unconstitutional. But is it up to the courts to decide where the line is drawn between giving enough authority to the chief executive and too much authority. It is, it is simply a non-justiciable question, and, and I, for one, would not apply, would not let the courts apply the doctrine of unconstitutional delegation, where the delegation is to the executive. As long as it's to the executive branch agency, then even I wouldn't get into it. Some of my colleagues would, I I suppose. Even in the in the extreme situation where we passed a law saying, for example, we shall have good law. The power to make good law is hereby delegated to the Department of Good Law, which is hereby created. I'd do that one. All right. But that's not going to happen. I'm talking about any real situation. I can't I can't imagine my my sticking my toe in that water. Okay, okay. And uh, Justice Breyer, I had a question for you. I've uh, really enjoyed reading parts of your of your new book, uh, Making Our Democracy Work. It's uh, it's very well written and fascinating. I think it's good reading for any law student or lawyer or American who wants to learn more about the system. You suggest in your book at page 126 that there's rarely an easy answer to the question of what level of government should be primarily responsible for helping to resolve the problems that potentially call for legislation and that the question usually turns on empirical information. Uh, such that facts help determine the answers. Yeah. You go on to explain in uh, pages 125 and 126 that very often this means that uh, the courts ought to step aside and, uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, uh, have Congress more or less decide the precise contours of the boundaries of federalism. Is that, am I understanding the, the book correctly in that yes, regard? In, in, that's right. I, I think it's, because you go to abstract, but it's just, if you start talking abstractly, the, the trouble is you can characterize any individual situation, usually in 15 different ways at different levels of abstraction. And depending on how you characterize it, it'll seem appropriate for a federal answer or it'll seem appropriate for a state answer, or a local answer. 
Is it a police department problem? You say, well, it's arresting somebody. Yeah, yeah, but you're arresting them for having guns. And, well, it's a state problem. Well, but the guns are torpedoes and they're only made internationally. And, you know, you know, and so, so it, that's so complicated and difficult that it's hard for the courts to find a general principle there. That's, that, that, that's my point there, and that, that's why. So if that's the case, and if it's also the case that under, uh, as we read in Federalist Number 45, the powers of the federal government are few and defined, whereas those of the states are numerous and indefinite, then members of Congress should read the Constitution, decide what those contours are, and restrain ourselves rather than waiting for the courts to step in and say, no, you've overstepped the boundaries. No, I, my, my point that I oh was making goodness. there is you are elected by officials in state. And so you will make such judgments on such matters as you believe are appropriate in light of how people, partly how they feel and partly what you're trying to represent, but that, that it is a, a lot of that is your decision. Right. Senator, of That's course a, you have to make those constitutional decisions. You take the very same oath that I take. The only reason I can look at a, at a federal statute and say, I have to disregard this because it is it does not comport with the Constitution. The only reason is that I've taken an oath to uphold the Constitution. You take the same oath. So and and and, and we give deference to uh, legislation on the assumption that the members of the Senate and of the House have have tried to be uh, faithful to their oath. And if indeed they're, they're they're not even looking at or even thinking about the constitutionality of it, that that. Uh, uh, that presumption should should not exist. So, yes, of course. You, you. So in that respect and to that degree, our, our oath to uphold the Constitution, our commitment not to overstep the bounds of federalism, means more than simply doing that which NLRB versus Jones and Laughlin Steele or Wickard v. Filburn might say that we can get away with in court. Well, I think you have to make your, your own decision about constitutionality. In normal times, you follow what the Supreme Court law has said. But we, we don't strike down any of your laws. People sometimes go, there's been got struck. We never strike down your laws, gentlemen. It, it, uh, it, uh, we just ignore them. <laughs> where, 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 where your law does not comport with the Constitution, it seems to be a law but really isn't. And so we ignore it and apply the, the rest of the law, the statute notwithstanding, as, as one of our early cases put it. But it's really you, you have the first cut and the most important cut. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You. You have the most important cut. So let me show you guys how the Supreme Court in Ohio provided their slip opinion today and what they said. They said they did this today and there might be errors on opinion or something. Election laws are mandatory and require strict compliance. Right out of the gate, they failed. Right out of the gate, because their whole argument is you're going to, as you're going to see, was based on election laws being violated. Next, substantial compliance is acceptable only when the election provision expressly states it. So they denied my right. This is why I got angry. In my face, using violations of law to substantiate further violations of law. This is procurum. That means they unanimously said, fuck you, Tory. So me, circulated petitions to appear on the May 22nd Republican Party primary ballot. I'm telling you, I'm going to be on the general ballot and you watch me. 
as a candidate for secretary of state, when the secretary of state's office forwarded the part petitions, so number one, forwarded the part petition to the various county boards of elections for signature verification, most of the county boards did not receive an accompanying declaration of candidacy. First, as a statewide candidate, it is proper, it is proper and foremost, the right thing to validate or invalidate a petition right away. So what you do, well, not right away, you could take a couple of days, right? But you take all the information, you see if it's legitimate, did they circulate the documentation? And then the secretary says, st- state says, all right, she got everything in here. Now we're going to send her petitions off to all these counties so they can verify the signatures. Do you see that? Signature verification. And by law, by law, the only thing every single county in the state of Ohio for a state-run race is allowed to do is verify the signatures on my petitions. That is all. They cannot invalidate my petition because they have no power over my petition. The Secretary of State does. They cannot throw it out and not count the signatures because they're supposed to. The law even states that if the person has more signatures than the law allows, you're still going to verify the signatures and then that's what you have to do. Even if it looks like they have what they need, you're still going to verify the signatures. That's the law. So, first, out of the gate, true. The Secretary of State received all my informations and sent out the part petitions. Now, between receiving them from January 31st and when they sent them off on February 3rd or whenever they did, they have that opportunity to invalidate my petition and say, fuck you, Tori, you did it wrong. Or Tori, you didn't have enough declarations of candidacy. Or Tori, whatever. Here's the deal. We have a missing stack of documents that they're not going to admit to. And we don't know where the hell it is. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. The law says I didn't at that point in submitting my petitions to them had to provide, you know, an equal amount of declaration of candidacies. I gave it to them. I don't know where they are, right? It doesn't matter the number. I could have given them just one. I could have given them a hundred. I could have given them a thousand. The law is law, right? Nowhere does it say you have to give me all of these. Because if I didn't give them all, then you would have invalidated my petition. Well, Tori, they did. No, they didn't. Because it clearly states in their rules that you do not send out part petitions for signature verification if they are not valid. So according to them, their actions, and according to the law, based on their actions, my petitions were valid. So this is just the first paragraph. This is so bad, and I'm so pissed, but it is what it is. Now they say, listen to this, based on guidance from the Secretary of State's office, many of the county boards invalidated in part petitions due to absence of declaration. Wait a minute. So now the Supreme Court has literally just made a definitive statement of violations of law. The Secretary of State cannot direct the county boards to invalidate shit because they are not allowed to invalidate. The law 
says that. So in other words, the Secretary of State's office instructed many county boards to invalidate all my petitions and not count signatures when the law says that the counties have no right to invalidate my petitions because I am not a county candidate. I am a statewide candidate. This is the Ohio Supreme Court clearly, step-by-step, admitting to violations of laws and using that. Listen carefully. So then it goes, as a result, the county boards did not validate enough petition signatures. That's because they didn't even count them. They didn't even look at them for her to qualify as a candidate on the ballot. If they get my petition and you tell them to throw it out and not count the signatures, of course I'm not going to have the signatures. See, this is a big problem. Big problem. The law is the law. There is no version of the law. And they've clearly admitted one, two, three, four violations of law. And it's okay. Unanimously, we have the Supreme Court verifying that violations of laws were allowed. Okay, next. Therefore, the Secretary of State's office refused to certify her name as a candidate on the ballot. Okay, so the Secretary of State, the day before they had to turn in my signatures, gave a directive to county boards they were friendly with to throw out my petition and invalidate it, which means they instructed county, the directors of county, uh, uh, county board of elections and county prosecutors to violate the law and discharge a duty that they have no legal authority to do. And then they say, well, so you didn't have enough signatures. There were a few counties that said, fuck you. That's not the way it works. And even submitted the signatures. But in the county of Cuyahoga County, which is a blue county, where I had close to 300 signatures and I had checked every single one of them, right? They just didn't even look at it. And actually, we audio recorded them that said we did it because the secretary of state said so. So they've just admitted to all these criminal acts, criminal violations. And again, at the top of their page, they say election laws are mandatory and require compliance. It's like they're sticking a middle finger in my face saying they're mandatory and require compliance. But here we are deciding based on the result of the noncompliance and the violation of election laws, how we're going to uh, take them in as well. I will fuck shit up beyond recognition. I will go as hard as I can. This is the most biggest miscarriage. It's so in your face. Now, wait, listen to this. In this expedited election case, took 30 days, by the way, and in 47 days, people are supposed to be voting in the primary. Maris seeks a writ of mandamus compelling the Ohio Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, who's my opponent, by the way, as well, right? to send her declaration of candidacy to the county boards for them to conduct new signature verification. That's exactly what I said. You have a copy. That's what the law says. You take the one that you have a copy and you send that a copy to them with my signature. 
In addition, she seeks a writ of mandamus compelling Secretary Rose to certify her name placement on the 2022 ballot. Well, that's wrong. See, I don't want you to just throw me on the ballot. I want you to check my signatures. And if I have enough signatures, then I have to go on the ballot. So that sentence doesn't even make sense. I want him to check my signatures, but then I just want him to place me too. Why would I want him to check the signatures if I just want to be placed? Makes no sense. And these are supposed to be Supreme Court judges. And you, who is not a judge, can see that that makes no sense either. Next. For the reasons set forth herein, we're going to deny the writ. A candidate for party nomination to statewide office must file a declaration of candidacy with the Secretary of State, which I did. At the time the candidate files a declaration, she must also file all separate petition papers as one instrument, as it requires. Now listen to this. This is where it gets fun. And the revised code requires that each part petition include a copy of the candidate's declaration. Yes, it does. But actually, in that court case that they're citing to cite this law, it actually says the necessity for it is for circulation. So people know who they're signing for, for what position, and say that, so they don't recycle signatures like, you know, some people do. In the petition, if the petition consists one or more separate petition paper, the declaration of candidacy of the candidate named need to be signed by the candidate on only one of such part petition papers, but the declaration of candidacy so signed shall be copied on each and other separate petition paper before signature of electors are placed on it. You know what's really weird? They refer to their thing, but when you look at their form, their standard form, it has the declaration of candidacy, a few signatures, boxes, right? A few signature boxes. And then the second page is just signature boxes and the circulator signature. But nowhere on the signature side that doesn't have the declaration is another declaration of candidacy. Basically, it's two pages. Are you listening? It's two pages. So their form is two pages. And it comes down to one fundamental question. Because only the, mat- the, the facts here matter. Is my form substantially similar or identical to what they have? Now, here's the thing. Mine is identical. It's two pages just like theirs. It has all the elements, the circulators and my declaration of candidacy. It has all the placements that they want, signature, county, date, and address. But it has more. On my signature page, it had my name and the position that I was running for, just in case people didn't read the declaration of candidacy on the front when they flipped it over to, you know, to lift the page to sign. My name was right there. Not only that, I had a box that said print your name because, you know, I don't want it thrown out just in case the signature doesn't look the same. Right. So those are the facts of the call. Now, listen to what they get into. The issue in this case is whether Maris complied with this. Okay. So what is, what is it that I didn't comply with? Here's what they say. Maris signed a declaration of candidacy for the Republican nomination for Secretary of State on January 31st, 2022. That's a lie. My actual declaration of candidacy was signed on January 18th, 2022. So the Supreme Court doesn't even have their facts in order. On January 31st, 2022, she submitted her declarations and signed part petitions to the Secretary of State's office, which I did. When she did, she separated the declaration pages from the signature pages, which I did. 
organizing the papers into 69 batches of documents, which I did. The first batch contained all the declarations of candidacy. Yes. The remaining 68 included only the signature pages grouped by county. Damn, right? Didn't I help them? That was amazing. There we go. Facts. That's facts. That's actual facts. I. It was so nice and neat that they didn't even have to figure out what county it is and look at addresses and shit and waste their time. It was nice, neat, with yellow stickies. It was beautiful, right? Beautiful. Beautiful. The, the first batch contained, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Maris argues in her merit brief that she collated the documents and separated them by county in order to ease the process for the Secretary of State's office and increase their efficiency. That's true. On February 11th, keep in mind, February 11th is a Friday. It's the day before the deadline, which is February 14th. Amanda Grandine, Frank LaRose's side piece, the Democrat, on behalf of the Secretary of State's office, sent an email out. Oh, by the way, she sent that email after business closed to the county boards in response to requests for guidance when a candidate omits a declaration of candidacy from uh, used uh, for, from a form used for gathering signatures. So here's where they get crafty. They already saw that I had 500 signatures and only a few counties had responded. They knew I was in. Remember, we had all the signatures. We had their names. We could look them up. We knew they were valid. So then they cite this case, Wilson versus Hirsch. Now, here's where I get really shocked. Reading that case, the facts of the case don't even apply to me. In fact, the case arose really good legislation, well, case law, in regards to the whole 351309. Here's what it did. It, if for some reason, the verbiage says you have to have your declaration of candidacy on the paper. And it's like, well, I just looked at everybody else's declarations of candidacy, and their signature page has no declaration of candidacy on it. It's not even on the back side. So what are you saying? You're saying you just picked on me laws for me, but not for them. And the judge in the case said that it isn't really necessary to be on it. It just has to be with it. Huh? It makes sense because their document is with it and not on it. Okay. So this is what's interesting. So she instructed the county boards that part petitions must include a copy of the candidate's declaration. Well, you know, Grand Jean, that's so amazing that you say it because the fucking law says that it's your job as me as a state candidate to send them my signatures as well as a copy of the declaration of candidacy you had on file. How do you know they had it on file, Tori? Oh, because I had to submit it and then fill out my form of how I wanted my name on the ballot and pay $150. So they already had that. And the law says it's their job to send it. Now, look at this. On February 16th, right, after they counted the signature, supposedly, which, by the way, is weird because on February 16th, that's two days after the deadline, Secretary LaRose still had not submitted all his signatures to be on the ballot again as incumbent. Fact. How do you know that, Tori? Because I fucking have the document. That clearly says that the Cuyahoga County, did, the director didn't even sign the document until the 15th, and it wasn't even received by the Secretary of State's office until the 16th. So this idiot's on the ballot, and I'm not, and he didn't even follow the timeline. And what was the title of this thing called? Wait, how did they say it? 
Election laws are mandatory and require strict compliance. Really? Is that, is that how you do it? So let's keep going. So he declares that I'm not on the list. I'm not on the ballot. On that same day, she sent me a letter to inform, this is where the, the, the you know, that her candidacy is not, you know, I'm invalid because apparently I needed a thousand signatures, but I only got 556. And the reason is, is because out of my over 1700 that I submitted, they instructed them to not even check them. Right. But then when the news writes shit, they'll be like, she only got 556. <laughs> and it's like, no, bitches, nobody counted my shit. They actually violated the law and told other people to violate the law so that I'm not on the ballot. Those 556 are red blooded Americans that were like, that's not what the law says. We're, we're just verifying the signatures. Here you go. You sent it to us. Therefore, the petition is valid. Those counties did their job. The other ones didn't. This is why every single fucking county that invalidated my shit is going to find themselves in the Northern District of Ohio in fucking court to explain why they violated the law and didn't discharge the duties that they are charged to do under the color of law. So this is election fraud too. It's not just at the ballot box and they fucked up because we voice recorded them. We followed everything and they're admitting to doing it. It's like they're telling me that they're violating the law and they're testing me and they're like, what are you going to do about it? And it's like, bitch, watch me because I do not roll over. And when you're brazen like this, I become even more brazen. So this is what they did. Um, I have, um, I have to file it in federal court. That's what I'm doing next week. I'm going to seek sanctions against every county board of elector, director of board of elections and county prosecutor that invalidated my petition. That's number one. Because they didn't count my signatures, you violated the law. Number two, I'm then going to charge, uh, you know, uh, sanctions for Miss um, Side Piece of LaRose and LaRose for directing them to violate the law. And then I'm also going to say that Frank LaRose shouldn't be on the fucking ticket because he didn't even submit his signatures on time. Huh. And that's how it's going to start. And in order to do that, I'm also going to put a TR. We got to stop the elections because the county board's fucked up. Uh, if they violated the law and for me, they probably did it for everybody else. We got to open up these books and take a look. And that's how it's going to happen. Because that is how the truth comes out. It is going to come out kicking and screaming. And yes, I'm pissed. And yes, I'm pissed because a lot of people are going to be laughing because they don't know the fight that I'm fighting. But I will make sure that people like this Grand Jean and all those county uh, board of um, election board people and county prosecutors can never fucking serve in a state or any government capacity again. What did the Supreme Court say? The first phrase, and I'm going to use their words, election laws are mandatory and require strict compliance. This is why it's imperative that I file judicial complaints and all my friends can file one too against each and every one of the judges. Remember, two of them are running for office again and it's imperative that they get held up to the highest of standard. Why? Because they're the ones that enforce the law. And if you enforce a law that you yourself cannot follow, you have no business sitting on that bench. No business sitting on that bench bench.
No business. And you know, another thing is maybe I should get some people to pull their bonds too, just to add to it. Why not? That'll be fun. Because if they think that they win, you know, business as usual doesn't work anymore. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to go multiple directions. There's going to be federal court. I'm going to the Supreme Court. I'm going to file a few things in federal court. One, I need damages. I want my money back. I want to sue you for damages. I want to get make sure that you're sanctioned. You're going to pay fines. You need to, you know, get out of office, right? I'm going to create so many fucking vacancies. It's going to be incredible. So Ohio won't be able to have elections. I mean, right now they're fighting about districting. I am going to fuck shit up so hard. It's going to, oh man, like they said, it all starts in Ohio, right? <laughs> Even CNN said that. Not only that, I'm going to see another way that I can jump another way to actually make it to the ballot in an, al- in an alternate way. Because, you know, you can slow walk the shit out of a court. But, man, you can't slow walk the people. So, anyway, next. Here we go. So, he does all that, and then he says, uh, let's see. Maris disputes the claim that she circulated part petitions without a declaration. Actually, nobody even brought that up. Nobody, I don't dispute the claim that I circulated part petitions without the required declaration. Who the fuck said that? They never disputed anything about circulating part petitions without a required declaration, ever. So who would state that? I said, no one disputes it. Not even the Secretary of State said that. You know why? Because we got them on camera when they had their election people looking around. And we've got every other motherfucker that ran for office with no declaration page circulating petition. Do you want to see shit get fucked up? You're about to see it. Because I don't care if you're a good guy and a good gal running in your local office. You were running petitions with no declaration of candidacy. I mean, you're not being held to scrutiny, but I am. And no one one refuted mine because my shit was on the front. You didn't even see the signature page. First, only declaration. So again, this is where it's about to get fun. We're going to drag every person in. Oh, and Frank LaRosa's signatures. I got his bitch collecting signatures in Cuyahoga County with no declaration page. This is going to be fun. See, this is how it is. Now, this, I don't know where that came from. Because nobody made a claim that I didn't circulate part petitions without the required declaration. Nobody, not even Frank LaRose's office did that. So right now you're watching the Supreme Court make statements that were never made on a court document. They never made any of those claims on any court document. They say, I claim that I filed an original declaration in candidacy with my wet signature along with sufficient copies. I claimed I was there. I got the videotape. What do you mean I claimed? As evidence, she attached her complaint affidavits from her petitions to attesting. Yeah, we did do that because that's the law. So anyway, that they attested that they had two signature page circulator statement on it. And it did. But this statement was done sua sponte by the Supreme Court. No one at the Secretary of State's office disputed how my petitions were circulated. No one. This they did on their own. Hence, this will be one portion of the judicial complaint. Where'd you get this? Because nobody made a claim. Nobody made a claim saying that I didn't circulate it. Nobody made that claim. That means the judges did that on their own. That's a big deal. 
that is a very, very big deal. You know, bar association, judicial review. I mean, I'm going to the Supreme Court and I'm going to show them how they sua sponte said I dispute a claim that was never made. I'm disputing a claim that was never made. They're making shit up now. Next. I'm making allegations. I got that on video. As evidence, she she attached, you know, them saying whatever. That had nothing to do with this. Next. The Secretary of State's office has promulgated form number 2B. You know what? I should actually show those to you. Let me show you what their forms look like. Hold on. Because you should see this. This is grand fuckery. I'm not... Like, this is so horrible. Like, hold on. I have to open those up, don't I? This is so horrible that, I mean, you can't even make this up. Like, you want to make it up, <laughs> but you can't. And it's so sad, too, that 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 this rab... Oh, man. It's rabid everywhere. Let's see. Let's go to my place. Where is it? Are you kidding? Like, I won't even be able to. Let me say open. Let me just open the document. Where is it? Is it that one? Oh, yeah. I should show you that one, too. See, Is it this one? Nope, that's not it. Oh, I could show you that one, too. That's evidence. That was going to be for my federal um, suit. Where is it? Mm, Trying to find it. Sorry, guys. I am so pissed. Is that it? Let me see. Okay, perfect. So let me show you guys. It is so bootleg. Seriously. Okay, let's see. Um, First of all, let me let me show you guys how the um, Secretary of State himself. didn't follow his own laws. Hold on. Is this right? Am I sharing this right? There we go. All right. Do you guys see this? This that you're seeing right now on your screen is called a certification form. This is what happens after you send off someone's signature petitions. What happens is they get how many number of valid part petitions they get. So they got 13 pages from them, right? So that would mean that 13 pages, holy shit, the math doesn't even add up. Shut up. I just did the math real quick. Oh my God, stop. Stop. Okay. I'm just going to leave that for a second. Oh no, I didn't even think of that yet. See, because I've been so busy with so many things. Okay. So apparently they received 13, um, 13 pages, right? Which would include two pages for each. So that would mean they got six and a half pages. That's weird. (laughs) Wait a minute. They got six and a half pages because if each part petition is two pages long, well, you know, maybe they got just, you know, six pages plus one, right? So let's say they got seven pages. No? Is that right? Six? No? I mean, they got six full petitions, which is part of two pages and then a single one. That's interesting. The number of signatures they got, wait a minute, we're going to do this math live. This is how, you know, enter into my world of how I think. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. This is going to be, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't think of this before. Stop it. This is just so good. 
So if each of their thing, 28, right? So if it's 28, and how many did they get signatures? Uh, invalid signatures. So they had 144, right? So that's super weird. They had a total signatures were 144. Let's just, I mean, let's just think of that for a second. Mm. So 144 signatures divided by 28 lines for each page. That would make it five pages. Five, five pages and like a tenth of another page. Huh. So then that would mean that if they filled in a full one petition, which is the, the declaration and the signature side, that would each of those would have a maximum of 28 signatures. Interesting. So let's keep going. These are how many were invalid that they couldn't confirm. And those are the amount that were valid, 120. All PAR petitions provided to the Board of Elections have been scanned and files uploaded to the SharePoint site. Yes, we did that. PAR petition sent and received, didn't fill it out. Director signature, this is the director signature who's going to be named on my lawsuit, Brent Lawler. Check this out. Click on the submit button below to send to, to send your data. This signed certification form must be uploaded to SharePoint along with the scan part petitions for each candidate no later than 4 p.m. on Friday, 4, February 14, 2022. The board must also upload all signed certification forms to SharePoint as one document. Please keep a copy of your completed certification form. Look at the date this guy signed it. Wait. The deadline was 4 p.m. February 14th. He signed it on the 15th, and the Secretary of State received it in the afternoon on February 16th. Now, you tell me how that works. Signed a day late, transmitted two days late. And it doesn't even look like Brett Lawler actually signed it. So I, I'm pointing some stuff out here. And I'm also pointing out that, um, let me show you. The differences in the in the petitions that everyone oh she altered the petition this is a problem let me show you let me show you what 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 their signature pages are like what they call a petition and how they don't have things on it right but I'm supposed to have it on but they're not you know it's just for me rules for me not for them though hold on not that one that one is that one mine that one's mine. Hold on. Okay, there we go. So we have two of those. Let's show you theirs first. That's mine. That's not theirs, right? Is that mine? Oh, this is theirs. Here we go. All right, you guys ready? So according to the Supreme Court, this is the form that you're supposed to use, okay? I want you to guys to look at this form quickly and carefully. As you can see, this form has how many pages? One page, two page, correct? Two pages. At the top here, it has the declaration of candidacy and then the petition for the candidate, right? They have to put it on every page. So if Joe Schmo is circulating, he has to say, hey, the underside, oh, that's actually your, um, no, that's, that's the petition, the page one. So then signature, voting resident, city, county, date of signing. And then you go to page two and it's just, there's nothing at the top. It's just signature, signature, and the name of the dude circulating your petition and if he was paid, who paid him. 
Are you, so, you know, so you could be signing a petition and, and Joe Schmo could say, yeah, my name is Joe Schmo and I'm with the Republican Party and I am giving this petition that has 28 signatures done. And I witnessed them being fixed on there. Done. But there's nothing on there. Do you guys see that? There's nothing on there. This is this is the point of that case that they brought up. The case that they keep citing talks about how um, the Declaration of Candidacy is one, right, to advise the people of who they're voting for. This is why you have it. You look at it and you're like, okay, I'm looking for, um, uh, you know, Tori's running for Secretary of State. This is her and the date she signed her declaration. And then you're like, yeah, okay, I'll sign it. But then on this page, there's no Tory on there. There's no position. It just has the guy who's telling you to sign name and that's it. This is what the Secretary of State claims is on, right? Because this is on, right? It's on, right? No, it's not. Now, let me show you what mine is. Now, you tell me in what universe mine is not equal I would say it has everything they wanted and more. Wait, that's theirs. Hold on. Sorry. There it is. So let me share that because you got to see what I circulated. And it is right here. So like the other one that you saw, hold on, let me put that there. All right. So like the other one that you saw, right, here's the Declaration of Candidacy. It's actually filled in. You see my date of signing it is the 18th. Right? We didn't start collecting signatures till like the 20th, but it was the 18th. And you can see here that it says petitioner signatures begin on page two of two pages. So this is page one of one. Here's my page two. What do you see here? Name printed, signature, voting resident, city, county, and date for this county only. And I write the county. Terpsehori P. Maris Tory petition for Ohio Secretary of State, page two of two. Here's the circulator's statement. So can you guys tell me how my petitions failed? How has my petition failed? Or how is mine flawed? I not only had essential elements, but I actually used that case law to ensure that I can make sure that my signatures cannot be reused for anything else, as you can see, right? They can't, right? I complied and I said, it's page two of two. Theirs didn't even say it's page two of two. The only reason you see it page two of two is because it's evidence in the temporary restraining order that I'm going to file. So again, how did the Supreme Court say that I had to have it on when their signature didn't. So mine is only 20 signatures long, not 28. This is a question. And so the thing is, you know, the, the reasoning of changing it was, one, to make sure nobody recycles or steals my signatures at the Secretary of State because shit like that does happen, right? Two is because I knew that they were going to throw out signatures, so I had to have the printed name. Because your signature today isn't the same that it was five years ago or 10 years ago. So mine is way better than anybody else's. Because right now, all you get is a signature and address. How the fuck do you know who lives at, you know, one, two, three, I don't give a shit corner. 
that could be a high turnover place. So you got a signature and an address and you're just going to be like, yeah, matches. What if it's a chicken scratch? Mine's a chicken scratch. So I've, it, the, the, the foundations of the law here are, is it substantially similar or identical to what I created on my own? And namely, whether it contains the same exact required information. Does it or doesn't it? It fucking does. So um, this is what happened. So they knew they were in it. They were stuck. There was no way they could get rid of me. Right. So they blatantly broke the law. Because they couldn't get rid of me. They broke the law shamelessly. Because they couldn't get rid of me. So let's go back to what the Supreme Court says about all this. All right. Hold on. Go back to the Supreme Court because, you know, it's almost done. I mean, you know, whatever. The front of the form consists of the declaration of candidacy, the petition for the candidate, and a numbered table for collecting signatures. The back of the form, it's not the back, it's the second page. It's not the back, it's the second page because you don't double-side print. So now they're making rules up. Right? They're making rules up because as you saw their own thing, they're making rules up. As you saw their own document said page one of two, two of two. But now they're saying it's on the back. Who said it's on the back? Who said it's on the back? Who said it's on the back? So here we have the Supreme Court making statements on their own. So now, so now they have this guy. He's a lawyer that's been hired and elected. He actually spoke with the, um, so, you know, obviously we're all over Ohio. And in Columbus, we have um, someone who was part of the campaign. She does like digital art and stuff. She's like digital. She has nothing to do with the petitions, nothing to do with the legal thing, nothing, 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 which by the way, we also recorded this call when she went in there because we've already said that when you're in contact with any election officials, any, anybody questioning you when you're taking signatures or anything, you record that fucking conversation because they will try at any turn and corner, right? Any turn and corner to, to disqualify me. So here's what happened. Bethany goes in there and she goes in there and, 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 and talks to this guy. But listen, we have the recording completely out of context. According to Greg, the technical elections administrator, he was a lawyer, not technical elections administrator. Um, Mara submitted her prior petition form, apparently of her own devising. Huh? Does the law say that I can't? print it on glass if I want to. I could use pink ink. I could put stickers on it, smiley faces, poopy faces. It doesn't tell me I can't do it. The law says, is it similar and substantial and has all substantial information? So here is the Supreme Court, again, making their own declaration of how things need to be done, but not the law. So... Uh, it does not contain a declaration of candidacy. I'm sorry. When you get one document, does it, how does that interpret in the law? When you have a, an act, what does it say? This document comprises of pages one of 290, correct? But for me, 
if the document has two pages, it doesn't count as one document. Each page counts as a separate document. Are you paying attention to what they did? I'm breaking this down so you can see exactly how corrupt these people are. So then they go on to say, I, I mean, I can't even believe I'm reading this. Like the more I see it, the more irate I become because they are supposed to be the highest court in the state. And they have violated that very covenant of keeping checks and balances. I will go 1 million percent fired up. And the problem is obviously the media doesn't give a fuck, right? They don't care. The Democrats are going to let me sue them, right? Because if I sue them and show there's corruption, they're going to advocate how much more federal control we're going to need, which is a cash 22, which I don't want because that's exactly what the right wants. So I have to be very tasteful as to how I'm going to get this done. So nobody in the media, local media, has called me for an interview. I mean, them reading it, they can see that whatever it is, it's wrong and erroneous. So if this is getting you angry, this is the Supreme Court. This isn't some random fucking low-level judge or some rando that comes out, right? This is the Supreme Court. This is the Supreme Court. This is why I said I'm going to be filing judicial violation complaints. I'm going to the bar and I'm going to be on every single one of them. They made this unanimous. There wasn't even one there to say, you know, guys, this is really fucked up because we're completely violating the law because my brief totally outlined. Boom, boom, boom. None of them should be sitting on a bench. And I'm going to take a quote from President Trump. If it happens to me, it'll happen to you. So I'm going to recycle that and say, if it's happening to me, it's definitely going to happen to you. I'm showing you just what they did. And you don't have to be a lawyer to read this shit. The part petition from which she created the Marist part petition form contains the header, blah, Ohio Secretary and Table of Signatures. It did not contain a declaration of candidacy. Again, if you guys saw my document, what did it say? Declaration of candidacy, page two are for the signatures. Yes or no? So then why are they making this abuse? They're trying to make it seem like they're two separate pages. And that's incorrect. Because it was page one of one and page two, one of two and two of two. One document, two pages. I am so upset watching this. Are you getting what they did? They tried to create one document into two so they can destroy my run. This is how crafty they were. This is how incredibly corrupt they are. Again, let me show you if you have any qualms or questions. This should, this should upset everybody, not just people in Ohio. It should upset everybody. Because if it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. It's not will it. It definitely will. So let me show you again my petitions. Look at what it says. It says clearly, petitioner signatures begin on page two of two pages. Right? It clearly states it. Page two of two. 
How does that happen? Per each single petition document. So one document is two pages. Yet for some reason, the court said that it's two separate documents. I'm not making this up. This is real. This is real. They went above and beyond. They literally broke the law because I cock block them with booby traps to not be able to break the law. I am coming for that Supreme Court. I am taking this straight to Kavanaugh. And if Kavanaugh's clerk decides that he's not going to hear it, I get to pick. And it's going straight to Clarence Thomas. Because what they did is, oh, it is a clear violation of law. And the thing is, it was so clear that I, that it was even identified. Here is, here's this declaration of candidacy. Petitioner signatures begin on page two of two. Here's page two of two. That is page one. This is page two of one document. Page two of two per each single petition document. See, the, 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 the irony is that a lot of people don't care about these things. They don't care. They don't care. And especially if you speak truth. Oops, my system showed. That was weird. Especially if I'm so irritated. So let's further down see what the SCOTUS has, uh, you know, Supreme Court of Ohio said. They, they shouldn't even be honored with a name like that. Two of them are actually running for office. I will, I will try to see if I can buy billboards to trash DeWine's son because he made up laws so that he can help DeWine and LaRose stay on the ballot. This is preposterous. Preposterous, and I'm so pissed, and I'm so angry, and I'm yelling, and, and I'm getting wound up just thinking about it because I get so upset because I know I'll be fine. But will our kids? So let's continue. After they've determined that page two of two means it's a separate document, not part of a two-page document, right? And I even put my header there. So that way they can't recycle signatures. They're using the, the, the things that I put in place to ensure that nobody violates the law. They're using that against me. I went so above and beyond only to make sure that they can't disqualify me or find any answer to do this. Mara submitted part petitions from a total of 68 counties. There's 88 counties. I got 68 counties and I got over 1,700 valid fucking signatures in 68 counties. They couldn't even, he couldn't even validate 120 in Cuyahoga County, which is blue. And I got close to 300 in less than 10 days. And his circulator, which we have on pictures and videos, because you know, it's fun to do that. They didn't have a declaration page. So we're going to make it a shit show because rules can't apply for me, but not anybody else. That's not the way it goes. Next, with respect to Adams County, Mara submitted a single page of petition signatures on the part petition form. She also submitted only the front page of number 2B containing her original. That's a lie. See, this is another lie. So they've just, they've just put a lie. So listen to this. When I went to check, oh my gosh, how did I miss this portion? See, going through it one by one. So here's what happened. When I actually turned up to submit my signatures, I had to give a wet document. 
and a wet signature. And we had two of those, one that we used for the petitions that they would photocopy every time they would complete another 20 signatures and one that I would just have to submit to the secretary of state. So we used the bootleg one, which was from their form, their original form, because we decided not to use that form. So we used the wet signature of that so that we could submit it to the secretary of state. Check this out. I never put it in the pile for the uh, signature pages. That was simply for the receipt. Right. So, so, so let me make it clear. All my petitions had two pages. All of them had the page where it just had the declaration and then the second page, which were signatures, right? And the circulator. So the page that he's talking about, form number 2B containing my original, I didn't submit that to be sent to any county. That wasn't in my stack of declarations. I gave that straight to the Secretary of State for them to have on file that they photocopied took $150 from me and gave it back, the photocopy. They kept the original. So how the hell did they send it to Adams County? Did they alter and edit mine? No. Here's how he explains it. The Secretary of State's office deemed the declaration page to be part of Adams County petition because Adams County is first alphabetically. So this is how they excuse adding a page I never gave for the county petitions to a county. So weird. Therefore, Adams County part petition with the declarations were sent to the county board for signature verification. Maris submitted to Cuyahoga County and Lake County different version of number 2B. Uh, no, because this form was never supposed to be submitted. Do you see what they did there? They took a form that I never gave them to give to any county just to say that I had two different forms. That's a lie. So they were trying to find ways to use that against me. That form was never intended, never circulated. It was simply for me with the receipt. And guess what? We videotaped the whole thing, which I don't want to share because it was at a bad angle and I, and I looked extra round. But regardless, I have that on video. On video. It wasn't part of the batch. So, so that's weird. And it's so weird that Cuyahoga got one and Lake County got one, but nobody else did. Like, what happened? So then they're like, for the remaining 65 counties, Mayor submitted signatures only on the part petition form without any portion of the form number 2B. I didn't use the fucking your form. It was page one of my document. Those 65 county boards, therefore, received part petitions without declaration can say. Approximately 40 county boards contacted the Secretary of State's office for guidance on how to handle part petitions lacking a declaration. In response, Grand Jean sent the email instructing the county boards that part petitions must include the candidate's declaration. Ultimately, some county boards validated Maris's signatures that lacked the signed declaration of candidacy, while other county boards disqualified the petitions. Listen to that. So, out of those 40 counties, uh, out of all the counties, right? Some of them did their job. They were like, no, nah, man, the law says that we have to verify any signature that comes to us. That's our job. And we send it back. The other counties invalidated disqualified petitions. And here's the thing. The law says they're not allowed to do that. They are not allowed to disqualify any petition. And here they are admitting that other counties violated the law. This is what's crazy. So apparently only those that were patriotic counties that understood the law 
validated signatures. And this is out of <coughs> 68 counties. For example, Lake County admitted to verifying, I think I, we submitted like 58 signatures or, or, and they validated, they verified that 58 signatures were valid. But guess what? They invalidated my petition so they didn't submit the signatures because the Secretary of State told them to. You see? This is how the war is. Dirty as fuck. They're literally talking about violating laws and using that as an argument to say why they're denying me justice because the in, oh my God, because the crimes that were committed are allowed to have been committed. Now, here's the thing. According to Fedak, that lawyer, on February 15th, a representative from Maris's campaign asked to speak to him in person regarding the invalidated signatures and part petition. She was the one that was videotaping um, me doing all that. She was like, you know, like I said, she's like graphic arts and video and stuff like that. So Bethany talked to him and listen to what they said. She said they supplied the secretary of state's office with a set of signed declarations of candidacy and believed that the secretary of state's office would copy the declarations and attach them to part petitions of each county. According to a summary of the meeting that was prepared by the deputy of election council, blah, 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 who had also been present during the discussion, Maris's representative twice confirmed that the supply declaration were not attached to any part petitions with signatures, but acted under the belief that the secretary of state office would attach them. See, we don't have to act under the belief. The law says that the secretary of state is supposed to send the one they have on file, which is their original document, the one that I signed that was never circulated with all my signatures. That's their job. Right. The law says it. So now procedural that I filed a complaint of mandamus pursuant to this, blah, 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 legal analysis to be entitled to a written mandamus. Maris must establish a clear and convincing evidence. She has a clear legal right to the requested relief and that secretary LaRose has a clear legal duty to provide it. And she does not have adequate remedy in order the course of law because of this. As the third element, Maris lacks an adequate remedy in ordinary course of law due to the proximity of the primary election, which is less than 60 days away. No doubt you took 30 fucking days to do your job. The remainder of the analysis turns on whether Secretary LaRose engaged in fraud, corruption, or abuse and discretion or acted in clear disregard. Okay, so wait a minute. I pointed out the laws they violated. I pointed out the rules and regulations of their own fucking manuals that they violated, and they're going to tell me that that didn't happen? Huh. As a preliminary matter, her request certifying her name to the ballot at best is premature. If she were to prevail on the merits of her claim, her petitions would be returned to the county boards for signature verification, and it is unknown whether that would produce a high enough valid signatures to qualify her name. Where our batting average was in 90%, meaning that when we'd submit three sig when we'd submit 10 signatures, maybe only one would be in, in an invalid or not be found. Because we checked all of them. So here's, so they said that I'm not entitled to a writ returning the petitions to the county boards for signatures. So they're not even checking my signatures, right? Because then that makes me a valid candidate. So they said that I'm not entitled to returning the petitions to the county boards for signature verification. They violated the law. The county boards did by not verifying the signatures because the attorney general said so. And now they're telling me that I'm not entitled to follow the procedure. I didn't ask you to put me on there just cause I said, check the fucking signatures. Cause I want it in your face that in under 10 days, I not only got a thousand, I got over a thousand. And that's the way the people are talking because I want to show them that the people are done. Get it. 
So as my demand for the re returning the petitions, you know, blah, 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 blah in Wilson. So they're referring to this case that doesn't apply to me. And this case is an inspiration as to why the petitions were created that way. The court declined to consider the affidavits because this and this required declaration of candidacy and separate petition papers to be filed at the same time. They fucking were. So now they're making their own statements. That doesn't even say that in the law. They're making the law up. Here's what they say. A candidate may not file a supplemental filing with additional signatures because the latter, I didn't, I didn't submit any supplemental signatures. No one did that. No one sent extra shit. No one did that. So why are they making these statements? Who said, who said, hey, here's some extra signatures because I forgot some. So they're making up their own laws. Huh, check this out. This is inambiguous. If the petition consists of more than one part petition, then the declaration of candidates shall be copied on each other. Okay, so you saw their original form. Did you see on the signature second page the declaration of candidacy copied on it? Did you guys see it copied on it? No, it was a second page. And the law, that case actually said it's not supposed to be on it. Like it has to be with it because it's two pages. So what the hell? Listen to this. Separate petition paper before signature relates me. Plainly, Maris did not comply with the requirement because the declaration was not copied on it. Are they fucking insane? Their own document doesn't have it on it. And it's not on the back because I got Frank LaRose's petitions. He doesn't have it on the back. Other candidates, they didn't have it on the back. I got them on video where they didn't even have it anywhere near where people were signing. So again, how is it possible that this, look, look what it said, it was not copied on the Marist part petition formed before or after the signatures were affixed. Wait a minute. Was my document not two pages? Was the declaration of candidacy not on page one, which is on or before the signatures were affixed? You see, this is hotter corruption. Like I want to go into a corner and cry. And the, and, and the media doesn't care. They literally lied and I did nothing wrong and they did this. And it's like, if they're doing it to me, they're doing it to you. Nah. Listen to this. Mary suggests in her second and third proposition of law that we should, that she substantially complied with Ohio law because her petition circulators use the declaration when uh, collecting signatures, thereby eliminating concerns about voter confusion. However, it is well settled that election laws are mandatory and require strict compliance. Oh my God, I'm getting so upset that they say this. I get so upset and I'm like shouting and I feel so horrible. But what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, how does this even make sense? What they're saying? How does it even make sense? What they're saying? I'm so irate right now. I need to. So then they go on bringing this here about a county that doesn't even fucking apply to me because I'm a statewide candidate. Then they bring the Wilson case again that says that mandate is that the declaration appear on each part petition is a clear requirement, which it was. That must be strictly, which it was. So I don't understand where the problem is. This is why I need to file all these lawsuits because what they are saying makes absolutely no sense. They're talking in circles and saying things that don't even apply to the facts of my case. 
So look at this. The strict application renders most of my arguments smooth. The fuck it does. She devotes the merit of her brief to her contention that the affidavits of her petition. No, I don't. I never said that. I know I don't. Uh, secure any objection to petitions and therefore should be considered. Secretary LaRose citing Wilson, which has no factual application in my case. It's like citing a case about tennis balls when you're having a conversation about swimming. Like it makes absolutely no sense where the essence of the case about, uh, about tennis balls is um, fair game. But it's swimming, so you should be throwing a tennis ball. And you're like, but I don't throw tennis balls when I swim. It makes absolutely zero sense. So then they go on to, we need not resolve the dispute because the affidavits don't change the analysis. The affidavits contain the same sentence. The complete candidate petition included a page one declaration of Kennedy with each two, page two signature circulated statement. But these statements do not prove that all 68 declaration pages were turned into. Wait, so wait, they're saying they don't prove. Yes, I can't prove that because once I give it to you, how do I prove that you threw it out if I don't have evidence that you threw it out? This is malicious prosecution. This is targeted harassment to a minority woman. I'm going to pull that card. The only evidence at this point that Maris's affidavit statement that she submitted sufficient copies of her declaration. What? So my affidavit saying that I submitted sufficient copies of declaration is not, and I signed it under penalty and perjury. They didn't. Okay. It's unclear what Maris deems sufficient number of copies, what form those copies took. In Maris's reply brief, she refers to the execution of a single declaration form with an original wet signature and avers that the law required the Secretary of State office to transmit her part petitions by accompanying all part petition with a singular declaration of candidacy, which she filed with the Secretary of State at intake form. The word singular appears in her brief and appears to corroborate the version of events described by FedEx that Maris provided only a few. No. Oh, my God. They're just making shit up now. Look at that. Oh, my God. They're saying, oh, it concurs that he said that you were supposed to make copies. The fucking law says the Secretary of State. Hold on. Let me pull my. My, my, holy shit. They're making stuff. Oh my God. Like this is so bad. I have to really file this federal complaint perfectly. I have to deconstruct it so perfectly because this is so insane. In my reply brief, hold on. I have it there. Where's the, uh, okay, here we go. Let me show it to you. I got to show it to you. Cause I, I actually put it in my reply brief where I cited the law. Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. Holy shit. I just saw that. I didn't even see that before. Here we go. Here's my reply brief. Um, let me share this with you. So, holy crap. I can't believe they actually said that. Did the lawyers actually write this or did some clerk do this half-ass shit? Because this makes no sense. Okay, look at this. I said to the court, the court should hold that no written law, rule, or regulation exists, that statewide candidate petitions are invalidated if multiple copies of declaration of candidate documents are not forwarded to any or all 88 counties for signature verification, and B, if the Secretary of State fails to discharge a duty owed by law. Now, check this out. I say the respondent, Frank LaRose, alleges that it is the law to send one declaration page for every signature page to each county for signature verification. Frank LaRose has failed to show the law or regulation they're referencing. No law, rule, or regulation confirms LaRose's allegation. Ohio law states that a, a singular, a, because the word is a, 
singular declaration of candidacy must be transmitted to accompany all par petitions by the Secretary of State. Look, here's the law. Ohio Revised Code. The Secretary of State shall promptly transmit to each board such separate petition papers of each petition accompanying a declaration of candidacy filed with the Secretary of State as purport to contain signatures of electors of the county of such board. A. Did you see that? A. A. I, does A mean multiple? Does A mean a lot? What does A mean? No, this is my law. This is the law that I showed them. I showed them that the Secretary of State has to promptly transmit each board such separate petition papers for each petition accompanying a declaration of candidacy filed with the Secretary of State as purport to contain signatures of electors for the county of the board. I put that in there. That's my filing where I said it was his fucking job to do it. So that's why I asked the court to acknowledge it. A means single. Doesn't mean 50. Single. Part petitions, right? Your part petition for the county are all your signatures. So I'm, I'm so confused as to where they're going with this. So let's go back to what they're saying. So now they're telling me that I'm stupid and that it resembles, right, what Bethany told him that they were supposed to forward a copy of that from the stack we gave them. Like we even gave them the stack. So it says that she only provided a few copies. So I, I gave them two copies apparently, and then the one that they got apparently, right? That's it. You know, I'm thinking that Cuyahoga and Lake County got it because when we were separating the declarations of candidacy from each signature page to put it in a stack, one must have gotten lost because how do you go from C to L all random and shit? But anyway, it says, as previously noted, Maris bears the burden of proof by clear convincing evidence. How am I going to prove that after I gave him all my shit, that somebody put that on somebody's desk, shred it, fucking threw it out. Like, how do I do that? How do I prove that? They're asking me to prove something that I can't prove. They're asking me to do things that I can't prove. How do I prove something that I can't see that's done behind closed doors? And, 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 and what do you mean by convincing evidence? Like, uh, do you want me to show you how they didn't circulate them? Do you want me to show you how we did? Uh, like, what is convincing evidence? How do you do this? How do you convince? You can't. So how do I give them evidence of what they did after January 31st when I dropped off my shit? Like, I don't know. They're supposed to do their job. Next. My first three propositions in law do not address the root of my problem. Her failure to prove that she strictly complied with this. What? And if it is true that Mayor separated the declarations from the part petitions before filing them, she only compounded the problem by doing so. So if I complied because I separated them, I made it a bigger problem. So I re so they reject my first three statements of law. Like, no, you can't reject shit. That is the law. That's not how it works. Because the first three things that I asked them was that they should say that uh, not to defer to the Secretary of State on a factual dispute when the evidence shows they didn't follow their own law. So that was the first one. I was like, listen, you can't sit there on a he says, she says argument where my fucking paperwork is when they can't even comply with their own rules and laws. I mean, that's fair, right? I'm not going to say you guys chucked it or you talked to your county board guys and said, shred that bitch or whatever. I'm not going to sit there and say that. That's just stupid.
But I am going to say, look, the guy didn't even submit his signatures on time. They didn't even follow the law. They directed people to break the law. So you can't go to him for something factual. That's all I said. And I think I have every fairness to do. I have to be fair, right? I can't just sit there and point the finger and I'm like, he's the liar because he'll be like, she's the liar. So it's like, okay, let's not lie. Let's like, in this situation, what has he done? He hasn't followed any of his fucking rules. So don't listen to him. That was in my, that was the first thing I asked. The second thing that I asked was, um, uh, follow their own lose. Okay. So I said, I want them to not go to him for um, factual disputes, like where the papers are, because the evidence shows that they didn't follow their own law or their own rules and directed others to do so. Specifically, the respondent's office, the Secretary of State, apparently violated Ohio Revised Code 31. 31- 351305. So did numerous other counties and prosecutors. So this law 351305 says what the counties are supposed to do and what statewide candidates do. Like I clearly demonstrated that in my reply brief. I don't think they even read it because that's what I'm bringing to the federal court. And then the second one that I said is that a a candidate substantially complies with the provision of Ohio law when the evidence shows that a copy of the candidate's declaration of candidacy was circulated with the candidate's signature page and satisfied the two evils. So, you know, that case that they keep talking about, Wilson, that's exactly what the outcome of that was. And that Ohio revised code 351309 is satisfied because the two evils that it wants to prevent is that people are signing shit that they don't know who they're signing for. And two, that the signatures are going to be recycled. I remedied both of that. So then they go on to my fourth proposition. The court should not defer to the secretary of state. That's not my fourth one. That was my first secretary of state for factual dispute. When the evidence show they didn't follow their, oh my God, look at this. Maris's fourth proposition of law. Check that out. Look, I'm going to show you what my proposition of law is. Holy crap. Look at that. Okay. Maris's fourth proposition of law, factual dispute. You see that guys? You see it, right? Okay. Someone didn't do their job. I don't even think the Supreme Court made, what if the Supreme Court never made the decision? Holy crap. Hold on. Um, where is it? Where's my reply brief? Hold on. I need to share that with you. You got to see that. Holy crap. Okay, there it is. Let me show this to you. So I want you guys to see the proposition of law that I did. Hold on. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Sorry. I'm just a little bit shocked because that's... Okay, so this is my introduction, right? Here's this. Here's the discretion. Okay. These are the propositions. Number one, the court should not defer to the secretary of state on factual dispute when the evidence showed they didn't follow the law or their own rules and directed others to do so. This is my response to them. So how the fuck is that the fourth proposition? I'll show you. Let me show you. So let me see. Okay. So here's the proposition of law. So then. Okay, so the respondent filed merit brief, but this filing would closely demonstrate this is my proposition of law. That's number one, but they called it number four. Number two is, you know, if I comply with the Ohio law based on this, then I satisfy everything. <coughs> number three is that they should hold that no written law, rule, or regulation exists requiring that statewide candidate petitions are invalidated if multiple copies and, the, and that the sauce makes a mistake. 
and that the court should hold that there's no uniform law, rule, or regulation to govern statewide races and or ballot measures across 88 counties, which is fact, and that the court should hold that the validation of a petition by the Secretary of State for statewide candidates is done before individual signature verification begins and cannot be reversed after individual signature verification has begun. And the reason I says that is because their election manual says, prior to verifying the, the validity of individual signatures contained on the part petition, the Board of Elections must verify the validity of the part petition. Now, that's a rule for every single county. There's no general rule for the statewide candidates. So since there wasn't any law rule, I'm like, yo, you got to make the same rule that are on the county level for statewide level because we can't just have fucking people just change shit as they want. Um, anyway, the point of me showing you that is that the Supreme Court themselves made an error saying that that was number four, which makes me think that's, that someone didn't read because that's really bizarre. It says the proposition of law is based on a false premise. Look, in this, 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 we explained that factual determination in this context will not substitute judgment for the Secretary of State Board of Elections when there's conflicting evidence of the issue. There is no conflicting evidence of the issue. The law says that counties cannot disqualify petitions of statewide candidates. How are you having conflicting evidence when they admit to it? I just can't sometimes. I seriously can't sometimes. How, how is it that, first of all, they call my first proposition number four and then tell me that, oh, yeah, they didn't break the law because we have conflicting evidence. No, the evidence that you just showed just proved my fucking point. They violated the law. The law clearly states that counties are not allowed to do that. And the secretary of state literally <laughs> told them to break the law. So how do I not have evidence when the shit that you just said was evidence of them breaking the law? I don't understand. And then they say that I have failed to prove by clear convincing evidence that my requirements, the requirements were met. So now my petition isn't good enough. Right. So they're denying it. So here's the thing. I can't appeal this shit. There's no way to say, oh, wait, hold on a second. Did you miss this law? Wait a minute. That's a violation. You know why they did it? Because they're like, yeah, we'll tell the feller court to put her on the primary and she'll fucking lose. And it's like, nah, bitches. You're putting me on the general ballot and I'm a fucking win and you're going to fucking watch me win and I'm going to wreck this shit. And if not, I'm going to find a way to create my own fucking party called the Federalist Party and I'm not running for secretary of state. I'll fucking take the governorship and you watch me win because this lawsuit is going to bring me and propel me straight to the top because I am going to drag the truth out of everything. The fact that they use the power of the Supreme Court to lie and clearly use false information and clearly use violations of law to validate their violation of law is beyond me. So I am currently right there. Like I'm going to the federal court next week. I'm going to regroup this weekend. I'm going to put that suit together. I'm putting together a suit for the Supreme Court so that I can point out that they abuse their discretion. I'm going to be filing judicial complaints when I file mine. I'll share it. You guys can feel free to replicate it and mail it and kind of put it there. And then I'm going to actually look into creating my own party, uh, the Federalist Party, which was George Washington's actual party. And then just... um. Get myself on the governor ticket. Why not? Nobody wants to whine.
But you know, they have something called a loser clause, a sore loser clause, which means I'm not allowed to run if I lose the primary, but I didn't get on the ballot. So technically, I didn't lose the primary. So we're going to argue that shit too. And you know how we're going to argue that shit? Right after I file all the judicial complaints with all my friends and they're under investigation. Therefore, they got a, what, what is the, what is the statement that they said? Huh? Which law did they violate? Oh yeah, that's right. Election laws are mandatory and require strict compliance. See, that's how it works. Because once I have fire under their ass, they won't be able to pull shit like this when they're under judicial review, when they have the Supreme Court down their fucking throat and all eyes on them. So I'm going to take the sore loser clause and eat it for lunch. See, this is how you fix things. You fight. You can't roll over, right? You can't do anything, anything like that. The minute I'm governor, I'm going to fucking arrest every single motherfucker that violated the law in elections. Because I hear of a lot of people in local counties that try to get on the ballot, that they took them out. And so here it is. So this is what I'm going to do. They know DeWine is going to win. He's the king. LaRose is going to win. He's the king, right? Well, that's fine. You just excluded me. I don't need to be put on the ballot. I need to hold you accountable for everything. And while I'm holding you accountable in federal court and at SCOTUS and through judicial review and through the bar review, I think that Frank LaRose is a lawyer too. That's a good one. I am going to be filing a petition to, to be excluded from the sore loser clause with my new party of the Federalist Party of Ohio. And we are going to fuck shit up. I think that's the way you can get them. By doing things like that. Oh, and and while I'm on that, um, I wanted to show you guys how cases arrive to the Supreme Court. I think it's important that people know how to file. Oh, wait, no, not that. How do you file a judicial complaint? Do you guys know that there's this guy on, you know what? Just watch this. I mean, it's pretty awesome because you can file judicial complaints against lawyers, against people that are part of the bar and stuff like that. But here we are talking about lawyers. Please take a look. And just go on to Telegram, go to the channel Just Conspiracy, and the document is posted up there. Now, I'm just going to go over what, what I put. You know, of course, I put the case number my relationship to the case. I'm a witness, okay? And if you're watching this online, you can be a witness too. Because if they ever have an actual court hearing about it, I can introduce the evidence. And then you can say that you witnessed the evidence. Uh, so that is completely legit. And this is what more people need to start doing to stand up with one another. Especially since they're saying, oh, nobody can come down to the courthouse because of COVID. Oh, nobody can get together in groups of more than like two people. Oh, yeah, we don't want y'all getting together and actually figuring out how to fight us. That wouldn't be cool. So my relationship to the case is that I'm a witness. Okay, and I'm just going to go over what, what I wrote down here, and then I'll go over some of the rules here. So you, you can... 
I want to say something. So I hadn't watched this whole video. Uh, he, I've seen a, a couple of his things on Telegram, and I kid you not. So, oh my God, did I just make like five thousand people and whoever else watches this a witness to a statement of facts via putting it on Rumble in the video? Holy shit! So I guess all of you can participate and actually file a claim for judicial for each and every one of these fucking Supreme Court judges because you're a witness. Holy shit. I didn't know that. See, I didn't know that. I kid you not. Like, I'm not joking. This is not like, oh, yeah, right, Tori. No, I, I seriously skipped over this portion. So now he just made it clear because I didn't know that, that you watching it, all thousands of you that watched it are actually witnesses and can file a judicial complaint against each and every one of these Supreme Court justices. And one of them happens to be Governor DeWine's son, too. So they're the ones that are going to be judging because, you know, the secretary of state is going to be like, I'm not taking your petition. I'm going to invoke the loser clause. But you know what? Once upon a time, there were two judges that fought the loser clause. They lost because they had one minor problem. See, I'm going to win because I can satisfy that one minor problem. So what's weird is, is that now I've just made a shit ton of witnesses, especially with COVID and all. Holy shit. Let's watch the rest of this. You can see on the screen behind me that is green right now, but it won't be when you're watching it. <laughs> all right. So. A statement of facts. So I, I got to state the following facts. February 5 of 2021, Christopher Smith forced an attorney upon Sierra Vallejos to obtain jurisdiction over Sierra in creating a star chamber court. When Sierra spoke, Christopher hung up on Sierra, denying her right to be heard and her right to be mom to Sierra's two daughters. Three days before, on February 2 of 2021, Christopher signed search warrant with no bond attached, no clerk stamp for time and day, and was left at Sierra's home after, after an officer <laughs> checked that no one was home to leave, the, to leave it with, to leave the search warrant with. During the search, I heard Sierra on the phone with an officer, so she was clearly at home at the time of the search and could have taken search warrant. Since February 5 of 2021, I have heard Sierra try to file paperwork multiple times and refused by the clerk to file with the clerk stating the judge must approve it first. So, so you know, obviously Judge Smith, Christopher Smith. And so Christopher Smith, colon, one, shows no fairness or impartiality in upholding the rule of law and his judicial duty people and do not allow them to speak the rich white people would have already had their about what he wishes to see happen to her and Hold he's on. harassing the crap out of her by not allowing her to have a family now oh, in the very so first passionate. video i did about you know the state stealing children state stills children hey we should be a witness on this case uh, too i mean I, I pretty much brought this up that you know they're doing this to her because she's poor and brown Really that simple. You oh think gosh, that this would get... be happening to rich white people? Uh, wait, hold on no. a second. Hold on. No, uh, rich white people. Maybe we can be her witness too. Why not? If they took her kids, and they always take kids of certain DNA factors. Oh, this is terrible. But he just made a bunch of people.
witnesses. So let's see. Ensuring a judge shall accord to every person who has a legal interest in a proceeding or a person's lawyer the right to be heard according to the law. A judge may encourage parties to the proceeding and their lawyers to settle matters. Okay. Right to be heard. Okay. Nice. Oh my God, I just learned something. I didn't know that you can make a witness by someone by declaring the facts of a statement of a case and therefore having them partake in it. So he's fighting for this woman. Ex parte. Judge shall not initiate, permit, or consider ex parte communications made to the judge outside the presence of the parties or their lawyers concerning a pending or impeach. Uh, you mean like what Ali Akbar's um, lawyer tried to do with all the parties in the case, but... Anyway, he actually did do that. Okay. Okay, that's what we can take away from that. Perfect. And we should watch that, and those links will be shared. Now, I wanted to show you how um, what the differences are between a cert, a mandamus, writ filed with the Supreme Court. And this is something that all of us should know, the writ of prohibition, cert, and mandamus. Here we go. And these are for bar exams, right? These are, um, you know, rules and stuff that they learn for the bar exam. We're only going to see about four minutes before we get into the music and go to bed. And this is already the part four or That's the last part of our discussion about Rule 65. So, ang naging guide natin sa ating discussion is the syllabus issued by the Supreme Court. So, we are done with the definitions and distinctions requisites. When is your uh, petition for mandamus, prohibition, and certiorari proper? The injunctive relief, we distinguished also Rule 65 from Rule 45 and from your judicial power. And we correlate our discussion to the exception to the filing of motion for reconsideration before filing of your petition. So in this video, uh, discuss na natin yung mga natira in an unmeritorious petition. We'll distinguish now injunction from prohibition and mandamus. Take note that your prohibition is not the same as injunction. Magkaibayan. In fact, in a Supreme Court decision, ano ang sabi ng Korte Suprema? Lawyers, they often make the mistake of confuse, confusing prohibition with injunction. Ano nga ba itong injunction? Bakit siya nagiging confusing? Because when you go to your Rule 58, that is your preliminary injunction, ano ang sinasabi ng Section 1? It is an order that is granted at any stage of an action or proceeding but prior to the judgment or final order. And in that order, you require a party, a court agency, or a person to refrain from a particular act or acts. And that is called your preliminary prohibitory injunction. Diba pag tiningnan and mandamus? Take note that your injunction is an ordinary civil action. Sinabi natin that, the, that there are two kinds of civil action, and that is special civil action and ordinary civil action. Injunction is an ordinary civil action that is governed by Rule 58. How about your prohibition and mandamus? They are special civil action under Rule 65. And if you're going to file your prohibition and mandamus, they are always a main action. Whereas your injunction, it could be a main action itself or just a provisional remedy in the main action. And who is your respondent in prohibition and mandamus? It is a tribunal. The respondent is either a tribunal, the corporation, board, or officer. 
in mandamus exercising ministerial functions in prohibition exercising judicial quasi judicial or ministerial functions how about in injunction your injunction is it could be directed against a party a court agency or person that is very clear according to your rule 58 section 1 but generally general rule ha it is directed against a party in the uh, difference from her accent is a little bit heavy and she's speaking in another language as well so the main points of injunctions are that there it's an, an ordinary civil action it could be a main action itself or it could be provisional remedy in the main action and generally it's against a party in the action so it would be the secretary of state it would be all the county directors or all, all the county prosecutors meaning they're not allowed to print the ballot because they might be on the ballot themselves and they aren't eligible to do their fucking job this is just an example it doesn't mean that i'm going to go that route it does not involve the jurisdiction of the court that's another one. So next, special uh, uh, prohibition is a main action. It's directed against a tribunal, a corporation, a board, officer or person exercising judicial, kind of like the Supreme Court of Ohio, or quasi-judicial, maybe like a clerk or magistrate, fuck knows, or ministerial function, something that they're supposed to be doing. And when there's an error of jurisdiction, right? And then that's when you use it. Next, uh, the mandamus that I did is always a main action. It's directed against some form of body, a corporation, a tribunal, board, officer, like the Secretary of State that I did. And it neglects, it neglects the performance of an act which the law specifically enjoins as a duty. So I did just right filing the mandamus and excludes another form, uh, the use of enjoyment of a right or office which such other is entitled. So, you know, that doesn't apply. For me, it was that he didn't do his job. The law says do your job. You don't do your job. You're forced to do your job. Now, as you saw, and I demonstrated to you through the facts of the case and the filings, that none of them did their job, not even the court. The court didn't even cite my shit correctly, and the court actually used violations of law to justify violations of law and then held me accountable for them violating the law. And then they made a decision saying that one document can't be two documents, yet the document that they cite is actually two documents. And my document not only had everything that document did, but it had extra stuff and made it very specific. So that's really weird, isn't it? It's super weird. Now, here's a judge telling you about judicial complaints. Judicial complaints. First, let me make it perfectly. I strongly believe in the First Amendment which protects the right of free speech. It's one of our privileges that separate us from most other countries. However, the First Amendment does not protect people from false and misleading statements which were made about them, especially on the internet, which is widely viewed by the public. The problem is, how does someone respond to these false statements, especially a public figure such as a judge? With judge, it is a very difficult issue because we have no real form to respond to these false statements. In addition, judges are bound by the ethics rules and requirements of professionalism, which restrict how they can respond to such false statements. 
For federal judges within the 11th Circuit, there is a formal procedure that has been established when someone wishes to file a complaint about a judge. The procedure is generally a three-step process. First, the person files a written complaint with the chief judge of the 11th Circuit. The second step is that, that the chief judge then reviews the complaint and he or she has the ability to investigate whether there are any facts in dispute. Well, hold on. My mind just blew. Did the judge say that if I want to complain, I have to send it to the chief judge of the circuit? The chief judge of my circuit is Justice Kavanaugh. I got to read into this because I didn't know that. See, I watch videos with you. We learn together. Hold on a second. So I write a letter. I have to hear that again. I write a letter to Justice Kavanaugh to complain about judicial misconduct of the Supreme Court of Ohio that you just witnessed yourself. I want to hear that again. This is a judge that is saying this. So this is like the best advice someone can get. Someone wishes to file a complaint about a judge. The procedure is generally a three-step process. First, the person files a written complaint with the chief judge of the 11th Circuit. The second step is that, that the chief judge then reviews the complaint and he or she has the ability to investigate whether there are any facts in dispute. Third, the chief judge then decides first whether to dismiss the complaint because it has no merits after finding there are no undisputed facts. Secondly, the, the judge can determine that the judge from whom, uh, against whom the complaint has been uh, lodged voluntarily acts to resolve the issue. Third thing that the chief judge can do is conclude that intervening facts have transpired that makes taking any action unnecessary. And fourth, determine that there is cause to refer the matter to a special committee to conduct additional investigation and conduct a formal hearing. All right. Hold on a second. So I'm going to have to re-listen to this because uh, uh, this is this is huge. So do I get in touch with the Sixth Circuit judge, chief judge, which would be Justice Kavanaugh? I'm so confused, but this is this is supposedly, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, this is supposedly, I don't know. Let's see. These formal procedures can be found at a link uh, at the 11th Circuit. I'm just summarizing them generally. Now, there are three types of complaints generally that are made against judges. The first type are complaints concerning the merits of a judge's ruling. These are generally resolved with a ruling by the chief judge that the complaint should be dismissed because the appropriate um, remedy is for the complaining party to appeal the judge's decision. The second type of complaints are those that are false and without any merit based on the undisputed facts. These complaints are also dismissed by the chief judge. The third type of complaint, which are very, very rare, are those of the most serious nature that require a referral to the special committee to investigate and conduct a further hearing. Of course, a dismissal of complaint does not prevent the complaining party from saying or posting completely false and misleading statements on the internet. In October 2017, I will have been on the bankruptcy bench 24 years. In that time, I've had five judicial complaints filed against me. 
all have been dismissed without referral to the special committee after finding that they have no merits based on undisputed facts. Four of those complaints were filed by litigants who are unhappy about my legal ruling. All four of those parties appealed my decisions, three of them appealed to the district court and one to the 11th circuit, and every one of those cases I was affirmed. That still has not prevented some of these same people from posting false and misleading statements about me on the internet. The final complaint was filed by my wife's estranged father with whom, with whom she has been in a bitter litigation for several years, who happens to be a convicted felon and a disbarred oh, okay. lawyer. So what I'm getting here is, is that this is his explanatory video while people are attacking him. I get it. But what he just gave me is juice. This guy sits in the 11th Circuit under Thomas Clarence, and he's explaining how people can complain about a judge. He, you know, because I was looking at the forms and I was like, how the hell do I complain about a, a Supreme Court judge when the Supreme Court judge is the one investigating my complaint? That was a light bulb moment for me because I just realized that I write a letter to Justice Kavanaugh. He's the chief judge of the Sixth Circuit, which the Ohio State Supreme Court actually um, <laughs> falls under. I don't know. I'm going to talk about this with my lawyers because you guys know in uh, our community, we have some really good litigants within the Supreme Court that help filed against OSHA as well. So this is interesting. And the funny thing is, you guys are all witness to it. Therefore, you can also submit a letter to Justice Kavanaugh for the uh, egregious behavior and clear violations of law. See, the law is the law. Case law is case law. Case law doesn't just reaffirm laws. It actually explains them. Huh. Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. See, because I'm not worried about the whole process of the Supreme Court because it's going to get there because I'm looking at holding them accountable and removing people from their positions. The power of the pen is quite fascinating. Um, wow, that was a light bulb moment. That was interesting. I guess that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, I'm pissed. I'm I'm so pissed. I and I just saw the whole case as it is and I am very pissed. Um one of the people that are on my campaign is such a smart person. And it that is just so incredible just to see. Um it is it is so freaking incredible. Um I am trying to figure out how I can do it. So some people, I know that some people had double-paged filed um, petitions, which means after they got the signatures, they photocopied on it, um, you know, the, say it, the, the declarations, and others have not. But what's incredible is, is that all the facts that were written in the Supreme Court decision were erroneous. And... We have a federal question that we have to bring to the federal court. So we're thinking about that. Oh, shoot. This is crazy. I'm just, I can't even. I'm just excited, though. You know, I love a good challenge. And I think everyone should see hardship as challenges.
right? And eat them for lunch and figure out ways to maneuver around it. Always. When people are corrupt, when people are evil, and when, when their intentions do not lie in good places, they fail. No matter how much they try, in the end, they fail. Anyone, anyone, and, 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 and I, I speak of this from experience. Some people call that karma. We have to have faith in God. We have to trust God. Oops, that's the song. We have to trust God. But what we have to do the most is the work to make the good come out. We can't just sit there and say, okay, well, I trust God. He's going to fix this by himself. Like I said, it's like, you know, wanting to be pregnant but not have sex, you know, or get artificial insemination or whatever other avenue you may use to make a baby. So... So weird. I'm so pissed at, at just reading that whole thing drives me insane right now. But I wanted to share that with you live, right? I don't sit here and pretend I'm, you know, some legal expert, but I consider myself kind of smart. And my audience is way smarter than me. Um, and we are brothers and sisters. I wish that everyone saw every fellow citizen as a brother and sister. If we had that bond, they would never break it. But anyway, this is the fight that I'm going to be fighting while I'm fighting with my defamation and dominion, while I'm fighting my case in North Dakota, while I'm fighting this. So I guess I'm just going to keep fighting. And the reason that I'm doing this, again, is not for me. It's for my kids and it's for their kids. Because if we don't, fight, then the future is bleak. The reason we're here is because people so far didn't fight and they were just comfortable and we're like everyone else. Have a wonderful weekend, guys. They separate us from our neighbors and they call it social distancing. It's actually a bigger plan. It's called social conditioning. They took away our privacy. There's always someone listening. The elections planning riots for the citizens. The government has always lied. It's history repeating. But the problem is the schools dumb you down so you believe them. If you try to speak the truth inside a tweet, then they delete it. Whole administration Satanists who claim they praise in Jesus. Every year there's a new name for enemies that we're facing. It's Al-Qaeda, then ISIS, and now American patriots. Who would have thought those who love the country the most would be hated on by folks who call America home? Both political parties are equally just as evil. They've been working for themselves. Don't give a damn about the people. Black, white, yellow. Brown humanity needs you Cause united we stand Divided they will defeat you The man on the news Says the problem is me I'm just a small town boy With big American dreams The world's going crazy And they lying to us Don't know who to believe So in God we trust Y'all missing what was written in them pages. That was history they wrote. Now you want to change it. You racist. You hate this. Why you want us all to be locked up in cages? I can't stand the left. Everything they say is depressing. Ship them to the Middle East. They can learn oppression. Believe me, I mean this quite literal. I love liberty, but I liberals wear a mask stay home complain and moan talk about privilege on your phone in your range robe starbucks mango fufu whatever the cloth i'm cut from can handle any weather you just paper in the rain we ain't the same stand for the flag only kneel when i pray 
I just pray we go back to the old days, land of the free, home of the brave. The man on the news says the problem is me. I'm just a small town boy with big American dreams. The world's going crazy and they lying to us. Don't know who to believe, so in God we trust. Yeah. Uh, I see through all the illusions Refuse to humor rumors or accept that we're losing Easy to get caught up, consumed by the consumer Truth is so deluded, people starve off the confusion Confidence the killer, your dreams execution Cool persecution if I make a contribution Home of the brave look like a mental institution And there will be revolution if we can't find resolution And a threat is a promise, stand up, pay homage They tell lies, I'm being honest, test the time is upon us I know that God got us, so I'm fighting in his honor Hear the cries of the crusade as we're strapping up our armor Either set set a higher ground Or drown in a drama If I die for what I love Then my death will be nirvana We fighting for our freedom Don't believe what they've been feeding Be the change you want to see The warrior that we're needing The man on the news Says the problem is me I'm just a small town boy